And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. Hey! High five! No, don't, 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 don't. Dave, did you build a cardboard brain? Hey, high five! Hey, Bryn. Oh, you were dead. No way. I'm fine. Where are we headed? What are we up to? Come over here and talk to me. High five. Nowhere. We're just, um, just enjoying the maze. Oh, yeah, you're telling me. Come over here and talk to me. We're cool. Yeah, we are. High five. We have to get past this thing. Maybe we can distract it. No, the longer we take, the bigger this thing's gonna get. Okay, we have to get some distance, find a straightaway, and then cut to the center. But what about the spider web? We move fast. Distract it. And don't let it leave this room. Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. And you're here for episode 141. And we got a guest. I think this is 142, isn't it? No, I think it's 141. Holy shit. Math. Barbie said math was hard. <laughs> numbers. I know, numbers. Um, we're here with a guest, and I'm excited about this. Yeah. This is a man who has a new movie out called Dave Made a Maze. Uh, he is an actor, he's a filmmaker, uh, he's a groovy guy. And uh, uh, I, before I even introduce him, I wanted to tell you I love this film. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Bill Waterston. Bill, welcome. Howdy, thank you. Very kind introduction. I appreciate that. Oh, we're going to blow a lot yeah, of that, smoke at you. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, now's when we tear you apart after we've built right. you up. Uh, That's okay, I'm groovy. I can handle uh, it. Yeah. Right? So, one of, the, one of the things that we do on the show is, is uh, we, we take a, a group of trailers each week and we take a look at them. And we, and we try to look at movies that... Are not necessarily that we'll look at a couple big blockbuster things, but largely we're looking for things that maybe people uh, don't see a trailer to, or, or or you know that's something that's not you know being blasted at their face twenty four hours a day. Right. And, and uh, this movie popped up in our list of trailers, and both Tom and I were like, "Holy shit! This looks so one. It looks so much fun. <laughs> Two, it it it." Uh, I hate to use this word, but I'm going to. Um, apparently, I don't hate it that much. Um, charming. Mm-hmm. And, oh. yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the word I won't use is quirky, because... Yeah, <laughs> not, not my favorite. Not my favorite. I'll say, totally, I'll say totally that it's, applicable. it's wildly creative. Yeah, it's very oh, inventive. Talking about, talk about taking what you have and molding it into something that, that is... Unlike anything else, I mean, yeah. like you can't. This is not a movie that you can look at and go, "Oh, it's just like." Right. Whatever. Exactly. So, having said right. that, Bill, can you give the listeners, if they haven't seen the trailer, or if they're or they're not aware of the movie, or they haven't seen the movie, give us some context. What's happening in your movie? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is, uh, well, I liken it to old adventure comedies from when I was growing up in the 80s. Um, your Goonies, your Labyrinths, and um, your Legends. But it's, a, it's, I call it an adventure comedy about uh, a frustrated artist. He's trying to find his feet. He builds a fort out of just pure aggravation and um, procrastination, like box fort in his living room. His girlfriend comes home. He's trapped inside. Uh, he warns everyone not to come in because it's much bigger on the inside. Uh, and they think he's crazy, but they all <laughs> get together. They go inside, and when they go inside, they discover an entire cardboard box fantasy world with uh, life-threatening booby traps, a, a minotaur, of course, because it's a labyrinth. Um, and uh, it is very much about their journey in, and then Dave, the lead character Dave, his journey to get them back out safely it the the structure itself it reminded me of snoopy's doghouse right how snoopy's doghouse is or the oh or yeah it's super big inside even though it yeah you mean the tardis both oh okay they're both bigger on the inside than <laughs> exactly the yeah yeah a lot of people even in other countries have been asking if the this book house of leaves was an influence i'd never heard of the book oh yeah um, but it's that it's that whole that same idea. This, the Snoopy's doghouse is perfect. The TARDIS is perfect. The closet and Lion, which in the wardrobe mm, is perfect. Right. It's you just you go in something and it's just not it's not what it appears to be. And, and even more importantly, it's a gateway. It's a gateway to something bigger and unexpected and fantastic. Right. And that's you know I that. Anytime I was hiking in the woods as a kid or just screwing around playing, you're like, oh, what if this. Oh look, an old an old wooden door. What if we open it and on the other side is, you know, there are gnomes or something. <laughs> you know, you're just always looking for that kind of gateway into a. a, a when you're a kid, it's a, it's a fantasy world, a world where you, maybe you can be a hero, where maybe you you don't get bullied, or where maybe girls do talk to you, or whatever. Right, right, right. It's, just, it's just a better yeah a better life or or something new and exciting and different and unexpected and impossible and you're just sort of always as a kid I was always looking for those it's funny when those you're doorways you know when you're a kid and you're you're looking for that stuff um, uh, uh, you mentioned the goonies and, mm -hmm. and 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 they're like you know what if it's what if the treasure's really there and as a kid there's you know there there is enough logic and real world jadedness to you to know that when I open this door that the world isn't really going to be there, but because but, you're a kid, you got to do it. Yeah. You got because it, it might. Be. A, my heart would still like pound a little bit, and just it would go. It wouldn't just go to the next step of what it might be. It's well, what if it's this, and then if it's this, there would be that, and then there would also be this, and then we'd have to this, which would lead to this. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it, you're you're just your mind is racing with with possibility. I mean, I, I remember running this guy. I don't remember what it was. Some sort of ditch or the ground made a weird sound or something when we were out in the woods and running home getting shovels and 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 tools and running back to the woods to just dig because just always looking for treasure always looking at, and and then it was not about money back then it wasn't about like oh we could buy all the comic books we want it was just more about um just the discovery of something that yeah, it's hearing that you should, you probably digging, isn't there. Digging your way to China and thinking, yeah, yeah there's an afternoon. <laughs> there, yeah, that's a good idea. But you know what else? I th I found in the film that there's a uh, there's sort of an analysis of 
the creative process and what it means to be an artist because there's a lot of turmoil between the main character and his and his girlfriend and there's some there's a lot of discussion about um what I would call right like writer's block and and the the right. the desire to create but just not making the connection between what's in your head and what's in your in your reality right yeah very much so that's definitely um the writer had his draft and when I I came on when I started thinking in terms of directing. That was sort of the bigger picture of what it is I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. For me, the, the maze was always a metaphor for the creative process. Yeah. And I, di I didn't want it to be too literal, and I didn't want it to be only a metaphor for that. I mean, I know people who've responded to it because they've been through addiction. Uh, and at, at one Q&A, somebody was bringing up the parallels with depression um, and other ways in which you can sort of be stuck, not just, yeah. as, you, as you say, writer's block or create, creative block but but and i'm glad like i didn't want to do it so literally that it only worked on the level of being the creative process or being inside dave's mind but that was certainly where i was coming from from a directorial standpoint like when i had questions i needed answered i would always step back and say well if this is a metaphor for the creative process then how do i approach that problem nice nice, yeah. nice. well and, and i was going to say that um through the process of dave you know working his way through the maze and, and, and getting people home despite others' non uh, lack of confidence in him. Right. Um, <laughs> which is, which for me is a lot of the humor uh, of the, of the, the movie. Like yeah. I, that, I find that stuff to be really funny. Um, yeah, uh, it, it, it does. It serves as kind of a map mm -hmm. you know, for people who are running into a problem. And while you're, Experience uh, may vary greatly. God, I hope so. Um, <laughs> Not by much. <laughs> uh, there's, uh, there are definite things there. Are, there, are, for lack of a better word, and this sounds silly talking about this comedy in in this cardboard world, but there are lessons. Absolutely. There. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I you know, I've had some people tell me that I've made a very dark film. Um, <laughs> And while that wasn't my intention, I did want to make a very honest film. And like you say, a lot of the humor comes from people not necessarily trusting Dave. And it is interesting having a hero, a leader, whose fault everything is. Yeah. Uh, everyone would be safe if it weren't for him. So he has to earn their trust. He has to... And there are moments that we very deliberately put in there where it's like he has to prove that he is a good artist, that he, these things that are coming from his mind have beauty and have merit and have value. Well, and that's when people sort of start softening towards when the, towards him and trusting him. When the, for example, um, I'm, and I'm purposely being obliquer. When when the yeah. the crystal opens, the the girlfriend says it's beautiful. Like for the first time, it hits her that he, her boyfriend is capable of making true art. Right, right. And we there, there's a one of my favorite moments, um, and it's very subtle. Uh, and there's a lot going on in it that, that you're not necessarily meant to track, but we, we always talked about Dave as being, it's very clear in the film, his, his sort of fatal flaw is that he never finishes anything. He, he is as incomplete as a man as his projects are, including things he's supposed to do around the house, like fixing up projects, not just his, his artwork. And, um, and to, to mirror that, the, the Mondo Boys, who did our score, had this um, theme that kept starting when Dave would appear, but kept getting cut off. Like, the, it, <laughs> melodically, it never resolved. 
<laughs> and sometimes that happened because of what was happening physically in the, you know, again, not to give too much away, but there's the moment where, like, everybody follow me, and there's a reason the music gets cut off. Like his, life score, his life score can't even get it right. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Hilarious. And that keeps happening. And then in the moment when and they, Annie and Dave settle down to build the chrysalis and build it together, because, of course, he needs her mm-hmm. to, to, to complete the thing. Um, that's the first time that Dave's theme, Dave's melody, actually resolves and completes <sighs> as he's great. starting to build and complete this thing, which is the key to their sort of freedom. So there's this, these really nice looks, just simple exchanges between yeah. the two of them, where he's just working away and like working up a sweat and doing like, we, we did that sort of Edward Scissorhands <laughs> moment yeah, yeah, where yeah, 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 what's happening on screen is impossible as he's building and building. Yeah. Um, because he's, he's just that good. He's that, he has that magic, and she sees that magic in him. And you see this moment, this look on her face, where she's just really appreciating him. And then she vocalizes it, of course, as you say, in that moment when the, when the chrysalis reveals itself to be the, the, the piece that he intended it to be, and she does recognize it for its beauty. But it's, you know, it doesn't come out of nowhere. She definitely starts to see him throughout the movie. Well, as, as being powerful, as being, yeah. you know, as, as putting value out there. I love the idea of bringing her, who's always been, you get the impression she's always been supportive, but didn't really mm-hmm. get it. And now it's bringing her into that process and showing her. Um, I always refer to, there's a line from um, uh, Sondheim, Sunday in the Park with George, where he says, mapping out a sky, what it feels like mapping a sky um, mm. And showing her that, and going, look at look at this world of creativity that I've I've l- always had, um, and she sees it like you say for the first time. I just think it's so poignant that's, and brilliant. Oh, thank, thank you. I, I love that's very kind of you. Thank you. And I love that she also is building it with him, and that's when she f- starts to fully appreciate, mm-hmm. like even just getting a taste of what it is he does and can do. She builds the stand for the chrysalis and it's a, it's a very nice piece and the chrysalis doesn't function even sonically the sound design you hear that it doesn't really start to function until the two pieces are put together which is obviously yeah. this one sort of metaphor for a relationship and how we're stronger together and we really come into our own when when we are together right but she she really gets to get her hands dirty too it's like craft hour you know yeah and that's and we, it's fun we, uh, sorry this is one last thing that excites me uh, and maybe no one else, but uh, <laughs> I, Mira, the actress who plays Annie, loved the role because she is in. She's engaged now to this wonderful man who is not a creative, but she's obviously pursuing this life as an actor and doing very well, of course. But it made her appreciate what her fiance goes through in terms of her ups and downs and the times when she gets trapped and the times when she needs to someone else to help her find her way out. You know, she really started to appreciate what it must be like to date or love someone who is in that, in that field or in that, in that position, you know? Well, and something that I got from that scene was that uh, so often um, creatives who are kind of in the same boat that Dave's in um, always, you know, the talent is there, but there's always something stopping them from finishing projects or getting things off the ground successfully, the kind of stuff that, you know, people, what we call normals, look at them and kind of, you know, like, oh, you know, they're, they're never taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for artists like that, a lot of times 
two things need to happen. Something something needs to happen. Tom and I talk about it all the time. Is that moment when someone gives you permission? That moment when someone right. says, "Holy shit, you're, that's really good." Yeah, I like that's that. really good. And that is a fuel. That is a spark that gets it going. And the other mm-hmm. thing is that some people, they, that missing element is that supportive person. Is that person that, despite what everybody else may say, says, "I believe in you." Oh yeah, and I, I see what you do. I can tell you, like. I, I, whatever happens with reviews on the books that I do, it doesn't matter until my wife goes gives me the thumbs up. Right. Everyone right. else is right. secondary to that. To you're right, that one person. Yeah, that one. There's we, we have an uh, we have an audience mm-hmm. that we're audience of one, we're always yeah. trying to to impress. My dad. Right, and there's another element at play too. Um, in this one, and it, part of it is from a scene that we the scene is still in the film, but we cut out a majority of the dialogue because the looks between the actors were so beautiful it, it sort of told the story, but. It's that idea that Harry um, says at one point, you never have to fail if you never finish anything. And there was a scene uh, where Annie actually calls Dave out and says, I don't think you even want to finish this. Yeah. And he, and he doesn't understand. He's like, what do you mean? And she says, well, when, once you finish it, then it's out there in the world to be judged. Uh, if you keep working on it, then no one has to, sure. you never have to show it. You never have to show it to anybody. Yeah. You know, you know I, and I think that happens to a lot of creative people who, you know, there's maybe it's a fear of success. Maybe it's just you know, you're you're talking about how powerful it is when someone takes you seriously, but you have to take yourself seriously, right, right, and right, say, right. no, I am a writer. I'm going to finish this, and I'm going to give it to somebody. Well, uh, e- even if it's a rough draft, or even if it's incomplete to some degree, at some point you have to share what you're doing mm-hmm. because if it's real art, it, it it's not it doesn't have value if it exists in a vacuum. That's not that you have to everything has to be populist. But it has to be, you have to let go at some point right. and, and, and share God it. God damn it, it has to be done at yeah, some, some point. point. Right. You know, uh, best piece of advice I got early, early on was to, for Fango, I did interview Barker, and he goes, at some point you just got to look at what you've done and said, this is the best I could do right now. Yeah. And all the right. ideas that you would have employed to try to forge that into being whatever, this mystical thing that you want, direct that energy to, the, to your next project. Right. Keep right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you get too precious, uh, someone there's a sort of a, a flip side of that same coin. Someone said to me, if you treat your script, if you're super uh, precious about it, and you treat your script like it's the only thing you're ever going to do, it's probably the only thing you're ever going to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. So at some point, you just you got to let it go and put it out in the world and trust that there'll be another. There'll be another. Otherwise, you're, you're going to spend your whole life trying to perfect that one thing that you're never going to let go right. of, and it'll it will be the only thing you ever do. Right. I know a guy right now. He uh, uh, he's been working on the same book for I shit you not thirty years. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Um, one of the things I did want to bring up is uh, um, you talk about Dave's sort of what everything that we've talked about, Dave. It reminds me of um, Stephen Pressfield, who wrote the, the Awesome Gates of Fire, has a book called The War of Art that talks mm. about procrastination. Dude, that is a really cool book. It's a book. great book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It talks about procrastination, the things that you put in front of you from creating. Right. I'm going to start this thing, but first, I oh, I need I need a fresh cup of coffee. Right. And you're going right. to do that. And it's all the things that you, not the world puts in your way, because God knows there's plenty of those. It's the stuff that you put in the way right. um, of yourself. Self. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, it's that's that's painful. I know I know people who are still doing that to themselves when they've got yeah. opportunities left and right, and that's they're still actively doing that. I, I always think of it like 
Uh, you remember in Pee Wee's uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure when the, the what is the um, See, pet I knew store? There, I knew there was a reason fire. why we liked you. <laughs> my my Tom and I love that movie. Yes, okay, the pet store is on fire. Oh, look, I I got real lucky. But I, every year for my birthday, my mom said, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I want to go to a movie." And I was Time Bandits, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Beatles. Yeah. Like those were all the movies I got to go to in the theater as a kid. It was perfect. But uh, there's that moment where the pet store's on fire, and he just keeps looking at the snakes. He's like, yeah. and he goes and saves something else, and he's looking, and he goes and saves, <laughs> and finally he runs out like, ah, like covered yeah. in snakes, like that, that screaming and being covered in snakes. That's what writing is like. <laughs> you know, everything else is the cup of coffee and the gym and the business, yeah. the, the work email that you get to and the checking in with your family. But at some point, you just got to grab those fucking snakes and you run through the fire, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's so funny. Um, uh, and the thing that's hard is, is I would think doing what you're doing is that as a writer, it's one thing. Because you're in your own world and you're creating everything. Right. You're but as a there. filmmaker, it's co- colla- wholly collaborative. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I don't do it. <laughs> uh, uh, but is do you find that you function well in both of those worlds? Yeah. I look. I I always thought I would be successful as a bass player in bands. There you All go. I ever want, wanted to do was be part of a group. You know, I was never, I was never this lone wolf who wanted to plant his flag. I always wanted to be part of a team. That's all, you know, I love team sports. I don't care at all about individual sports. That's, uh, I, I, collaboration is incredibly satisfying to me. At the same time, creative partnerships are incredibly fraught. And a lot of reasons why it works collaboratively on set and it doesn't work collaboratively in something like a band or an art collective or something like that is the roles are clearly defined. There is a leader. Mm -hmm. There is someone who has final say. It's very clear whose job things are. And when sets start falling apart, it's because it's not made clear and, you know, the, the... the sound, the sound guy is starting to tell the actor how he should perform a, a scene, and the right. AD is making <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. suggestions. To, and, and it's like, what the hell is going on? No one, no one is, has control, and the walls are falling down, and everybody's the director all of a sudden. Yeah. And I've been on those sets, and it's a nightmare. That's, that's the biggest difference i found. That's the biggest difference between a, quote, um, professional shoot... In, in, and I don't mean I'm not saying that in terms of money or whether you're studio backed or whatever, but right. just a a a shoot where the entire crew is um, experienced. So your sound guy, he's a sound guy, and this right, they know their role exactly. And the rock man, the when, rock had it nailed. Uh, <laughs> know your role. And then yeah. when you, but when you're working on uh, uh, for for lack of a better word, an amateur piece where everybody is essentially a film student. Yeah, and anyone right. can walk at any minute. Anybody, yeah, anybody can walk at any minute, but everybody... <laughs> and everybody wants to be the director. Everybody no wants to be the director. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, their yeah. movie. Yeah, that's... That was actually some really good advice I got uh, going into this. When, obviously, being a first-time filmmaker with a practical effects-driven ensemble tonal mashup was not maybe the wisest choice, but I was getting as, as much advice as I could headed in from directors I'd gotten to work with as an actor... And one of the guys said, look, everybody wants to be the director. Everybody wants to be who you are. So if you've got a bad night's sleep, if you've got a stomach ache, if you're in a bad mood, keep it to yourself. Because right. everybody wants to be 
doing what you're right. doing. Mm-hmm. So be be grateful that you're the one doing it. I uh, I do want to go back to one quick thing you said. You said something about being a bass player. Yes, sir. Uh, favorite bass player. You're damn right. Um, favorite. Uh, it's I got three, and okay. it's really hard to choose because they do things very differently. I'm, I love. I'm, I'm rubbing oh, my hands together. There's, <laughs> there's a certain. It's not, gonna, it's not Getty Lee from Rush. So God damn it! Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do not enjoy Rush. I have a Rush takedown in my next movie. Uh, but um, and I apologize because I know they have. There's people that love them. I find them technically extremely gifted, but soulless. Yeah. Uh, my my favorite guys are Bruce Thomas, who was on Elvis Costello's. He was a member of the Attraction. Huh. Okay. Wow. He's he wasn't on the first record. That was the uh, Huey Lewis, the band that went on to be the News for Huey Lewis and the News. There was a band called Clover. Yeah. But by the second record, he had he actually had the Attractions, and Bruce Thomas was a bass player on on um, this year's Model and. Uh, oh great! What, what was the record with Oliver's Army on it? The third record. Uh, uh, anyway, it doesn't forces? matter. Um, armed Forces. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he's an incredible bass player. Uh, my favorite of all time has to be James Jamerson, but he does something very different than Bruce Thomas. James Jamerson was the Motown house bass player. Oh, there you go. Who the, did all uh, the Jackson 5 stuff. All the, I mean, they, they, they just the, standing in the shadows the fun- of Motown. The Funk Brothers, right? Yeah, exactly. There's yeah, a great yeah. documentary called Standing in the Shadow of Motown. That I've seen it ten oh, times. It I saw it in, so twice good. in the yeah. theater. Sidebar. Uh, have you... I, I own the DVD. There's a great yeah. do- documentary out about uh, fuck. They're a high school. They were a high school funk band in the '60s. God damn it! I forget the name of it. Huh. Uh, it will come to me. I'll post it. I'll post it on the. I thing. don't. Yeah, know what you're e- email about. me. I'd love to. I will. Love to track I will. That I will. It's great. Uh, have you seen the uh, a band called Hell, the '70s African American punk oh, band? Oh yeah. yeah, a band yeah, called yeah. Death. Yeah. Death. Death. Oh, back on death. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, man, that is that is such a cool he's story. Ki- he's killing me. I, yeah. Both of these guys went right by me. Who was there? A third one? Yeah, who's your third? Uh, the third one is Rick Denko from the band. Really? Um, oh, I love him yeah. not only because he has a beautiful voice, but he he gets this incredible thick woolly sound wow, on all his geez. recordings, and he just has this super weird placement. Like he almost has like a Bootsy Collins esque. There you go. Placement where no, he just <laughs> he plays um, he plays in a way that only he could play. No one else would think to slide when he slides, yeah. hold hold back when he holds back. It's like Claypool, bend right? when he bends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, look, I loved I loved Primus in in high school. It doesn't hold up to me because again, it's that it's that yeah. like technical wizardry. Yeah, I feel that's, this, that's how I feel about like the the guitar. You know, uh, um, uh, the Satriani, yeah, Satriani, yeah, Satriani, the Shredders, yeah, 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 yeah. Mount, yeah it's, it's incredibly impressive, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, so it's pretty soulless. I remember I saw Ingve Malmsteen like I don't know, it was like it was it was in the eighties. He was opening for Triumph. Wow! And uh, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, and and it was and it was. Did you have the magic power in you? Uh, no. <laughs> Actually, I kind of did. Kind of did. Uh, At three bucks a hit. And uh, he... Uh, all I can remember is that, like, thinking to myself, and I'm I'm in my... So uh, this is the mid-80s, so I'm in my early 20s. And all I can think of is... This guy really likes showing off. <laughs> well, exactly. And I don't want to go too far afield on here, but uh, but it's kind of so what I've always said about bands like I'll use System of a Down. 
I've never had a migraine, but that's what one sounds like. <laughs> uh, I want to come back and talk about your cast. A couple of things I noticed. Number one, beardless Nick Thune. As yeah, how lucky was that? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. my God. How did, I mean, how did actually, that... it was in the script, it was reversed where Dave had a beard and Gordon didn't. And mm. Gordon had the job interview. And Dave was like, don't think I didn't notice your utter lack of beard, Gordon. But that worked out on so many levels because, first of all, the reason I wanted Nick was that he had this sort of baby face, which suggested this arrested development, but not in, a, in sort of a – it just bought, it bought the audience a bit of a leash because if he looks childlike and has this baby face, it's sort of – you forgive him a little bit more for being in this kind of playfully childlike place right, where yeah. he's kind of playing in a sandbox and hasn't quite got it all figured out. It just it bought a lot of forgiveness. Um, and then also what I always liked when that, when we had to rewrite those lines because of the beard reversal and Adam Bush did not have a beard when I knew him, uh, or when I first met him and obviously didn't as, as, uh, his character on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, Warren, um, what I loved about that reversal is it made me think like if Dave, Dave's like, I had an interview, you know how many times I've applied for a job I didn't want and immediately wrote something amazing afterwards mm. because I was like, oh, God, if I get this job, I'll never get to be creative again, so I've got to get it all out right now. It's almost like Dylan writing. Uh, right. Uh, what was the, what was the uh, hard rain's going to fall right. because he thinks the nuclear holocaust is upon him, so he's got to get it all out before. Not that getting a straight job is equivalent to a nuclear holocaust, but it is to an artist. Uh, kind uh, of is. <laughs> yeah. So there's this I'm, nice sense I'm that like, maybe that was the whole own... engine. I'm experiencing my own nuclear holocaust right now. Oh, sorry to hear it. Another name I want to ask you about, uh, well, first of all, Nick Thunes. If you haven't, Netflix has his comedy special. I, they did last time I looked. Right. And it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really yes. smart. It's it's up there. He reminds me a lot of a non-cynical Moshe Kasher, if you know who Moshe Kasher is. either. Uh, only by name. I don't. I haven't actually seen his uh, stuff. Yeah. It, it, you, know who, you know who he reminded me of? Who? A non-self-destructive, drug-addicted Mitch Hedberg. <laughs> yeah. Because he has this nice sort of silly wordplay, kind of deadpan. Would it, it, it... Something that struck me as I was watching this, because uh, 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 a couple members of the cast I had seen before and I was familiar with, but but the majority of them I had not. Um, are, these, are these folks from improv, mostly? Are they... There's a mix. Um, let's see. I knew the the people who play the uh, camera crew, the boom operator and the right. and the mm-hmm. cameraman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew both of them from studying at uh, at Second City. Um, Frank Cayetti, the boom op, is a Second City Chicago he's hilarious, main stage yeah. guy. He, Completely yeah, silent so performance, and he's hilarious. He is. He's great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun. I keep joking that I found the two best improvisers I could and gave, <laughs> made, didn't give them any lines. But I just knew they were such gifted performers, and I love the sort of Laurel and Hardy-esque nature of one is very tall and lean, the other is short. Um, uh, so that they were Second City improvisers. Uh, obviously, Nick, as a comedian, is very sharp on his feet. Mm-hmm. Mira and Adam both have improv training in terms of their in terms of their toolbox as actors, but and Rick Overton is a brilliant improviser. As I was well. going to yeah. get to, to Rick yeah, in a Rick, second. Yeah. I do want to talk about John Urbaniak, who plays Harry. Yeah, James James Urbaniak. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I looked at it obliquely and I saw the J. Um, right. A uh, couple of things of interest. Number one, he plays Doctor Venture. 
He does. In Venture right. Brothers. Right. There's only one moment in the movie that's particular. Doc, but the editor, David Egan, is a big fan of Dr. Venture, or <laughs> Venture Brothers. So there's uh-huh. one moment where he's like, oh, my God, that was so Dr. Venture. Where he's like, what the hell happened to you? (laughs) Particularly Dr. Venture. (laughs) The other thing that I want to specifically mention to you was, he was in Box Trolls. The Lyca film Box Trolls. Oh, shit. According to his IMDb, that's what he said. Damn. I didn't know that. I'm a fan of his from the 90s, from all the Hal Hartley movies that he did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, and even, actually, I was at a screening of, here in L.A. at at the Cine Family, I was at a screening of Ned Rifle. Uh, which was Hal Hartley's latest in the tri- the, the Ned Wright, the um, uh, what's Henry Henry Fool trilogy, uh, and James was perfect, and I was like gripping the sides of my chair. I was like, I have to have him, I have to have him, and we made him an offer the next day for for Harry. If you ever want to walk so again, good. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Rick Overton, do, wait, do you have something before that? No, go. Uh, Rick Overton, a legend. A yeah. legend, and I the Pixies and Willow, one yeah. of Bill Murray's yeah. friends in Groundhog Day. Absolutely, yeah, 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 everything. And I remember back in the days of him doing like uh, doing the comedy circuit in um, San Francisco back in like the eighties, going on Alex. Oh wow, Alex Bennett show. Yeah, um, brilliant guy, and just he's one of those faces that it's like we call it here, you know, movie, movie helper. helper. Right. Where you just add them to anything, and it's automatically going to be good. And it yeah. was nice. It's to see better. Him. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to see him. Um, I did want. Yeah. He came. He came. He was a friend of the writer Stephen and uh, and the, and uh, both the Second City guys, Frank and and Scott. He came on board at the last second because we we'd had some stuff fall through, mm-hmm. and and he was able to show up within I think within a day or two, and was just perfect. You know, just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. He big big. Big tall guy, big bear hugs all around on set, like just a Absolutely. great dude. Yeah. He reminds me a lot of uh, there's a there's a guy out in LA now called Steve Agee. Does a lot of oh yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 he's great. Mm-hmm. I wanted to I, uh, so before we we <clears throat> before we say goodbye to you today mm-hmm. when we when we, we, we have some time. time left yeah we've got plenty of time but I wanted to talk some nuts and bolts stuff yeah with you. Um, the, yeah, I, well, first, before I say this, I have to preface this with a confession. Um, you came to our hometown and did a screening of this film and a, a, a Q&A, and neither Tom and I were there. So, was this at the Roxy? Uh, no, this was, we were in Bellingham, Washington. Bellingham, Washington. At the oh, oh film yeah, of Center. course. Um, I was not at that one. The, the film traveled with some of the filmmakers, but I was not at that one. Okay. okay. Well, now yeah. I don't feel so bad. Now I don't feel so bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the point being is that um, this is a little, this is a small Washington town. You're kind of four-walling it, right? Let's see. How did that roll out? I don't remember if Bellingham was a one-night, there was a combination of things. We, we got picked up from distribution in North America by Gravitas Ventures and they had us initially in 10 theaters and then it started spreading theaters started coming to us for additional screenings but in addition to that the producer booked sort of, he's very kind of indie rock in his approach to things because sure. we were both in bands in the 90s and it's like if I get a, we get a van we'll do, if we yeah. hit this town get, this town, this get town, in the you know. van <laughs> yeah, so he uh, so he booked uh, he booked a tour basically of shows along the west coast to build Awesome. Enthusiasm, and you know, to get some DVD pre-orders and get get people talking about the movie and reviewers going and stuff like that. So initially, he booked a one night, and I think Bellingham was one of the towns that then picked us up 
for a few shows. Mm. So I think we might have been there more than once. It's but possible. I, I don't remember for sure. Well, the reason why I brought that up is because for such a small town, this place has this thriving film community. And it, it's one of the reasons why when I first kind of was scouting where I wanted to move to after leaving the hellhole of Las Vegas, uh, <laughs> uh, that this place appealed to me because there was just so, so much shit going on. Um, there's no money, but right. there's, there's creativity just everywhere. And that's all that preface it, it was leading into this. I was going to pack a lunch. Uh, well, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was wanting to talk to you about nuts and bolts about being a first time film director, mm-hmm. um, and and what that means. So you are given the opportunity to be uh, a director of uh, not a not a. I love giving the opportunity. Well, yeah, yeah I was going to say if you call soul, five you years you know of fundraising. <laughs> You you finally you you landed the gig right you landed the well gig. I built the gig there okay you, yeah, you built yeah. the gig and we, we all built our own opportunity I mean we had a screenwriter who wanted a, a movie getting made we had a producer who wanted to make a movie and a, and a director who wanted to direct a movie so we sure. all got together and spent years fundraising so that we could and that's, get to and, do all of those things and that's what I wanted to talk to you about is like what was that like so like how many years not, was it not be- fun how not many fun. years was it between between we have this idea and we've got this in the can. From a first draft of the script that, that wasn't ready to be filmed, but that was very clear there was something awesome there, to uh, our world premiere at Slamdance. That was almost six years. Mm. Uh, most of it was fundraising. It, it gets really complicated. We, I wouldn't necessarily recommend what we did, but we, we did not want to do a crowdsourcing campaign. And we, our, our producer, John Charles Myers, very thorough. So he had uh, what's called a private placement memorandum in place, a very long, detailed contract with equity investors. Um, and we went out to everyone we could think of who could feasibly write a check for $5,000 or more, because that was one of the thresholds in, in this private placement memorandum. Sure. For legal reasons that I don't even recall at this point. And it was a matter of just starting a combination of getting people – we who knew us who would support us who ba- it was basically you know we're telling it's a, you're looking for investors but at the same time you have to understand that there's a decent chance it's a tax write-off to support the arts right because m- most movies don't make their money back um but you don't go out with that pitch but th- there's an element of that to it as well and, and then convincing them trying to put a, a visual book together that I, I i'm much better at now than i was then as far as what to expect with the look of the film also simultaneously getting attachments in front of and behind the camera. One of the biggest coups for us was Trisha Gum, who at the time I met her was the art director for Robot Chicken. And she was able to bring on board a lot of people from that world, and that, that show was winning Emmys. and right. it, that, that was wowing people, wowed actors, so then actors were willing to sign uh, letters of intent, which are relatively non-binding, pretty much non-binding agreements uh, that, that look good in a pitch packet where it's an actor, a legitimate actor saying, yeah, if the time works out, I want to be in this movie. So we had their headshots and their bios and Trisha's bio and the Emmy winning this. And, and that's, we, that, that's the package we went out with. Right. And, that's, and that was something I was going to ask you was how important was it to have, um, as you say, uh, attachments or names? Essential. Essential. Uh, in the same way that I, I remember the Irish director trying to get Michael Collins made 
before Liam Neeson was a gigantic star. Right. And everyone was, and I was living in Ireland at the time, playing in rock bands, and everyone was livid that Julia Roberts was cast as the female lead when there are so many talented Irish actresses. And sure. Whether or not you think she's talented, she does not do a convincing Irish accent. It was like whitewashing, and everyone in, whitewashing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly, red, white, and blue washing. Everyone was pissed. And um, everyone in Ireland was super pissed, and the director was like, look, no Julia Roberts, no movie. There is no Michael Collins. Because I got Julia Roberts, I got my funding. Uh, and this is, you know, on a much smaller scale, when you're going to people and saying, hey, I've never done this before. Someone you've never heard of wrote something that someone you've never heard of is producing that's going to be directed by someone you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. You have to at least say, but the guy from this show that you know said he'd be in it. And the it's obviously a very art director heavy movie and the art director from this Emmy winning show that you love is doing it and da 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 da, da. you know you, you have to have those bells and whistles or, or someone's just like I don't believe you was <laughs> was the person that you you just mentioned and the name flew right by me from Robot Chicken um, Trisha Gum Trisha Gum was she how you got um, the, your um, beginning credits ending credits animated Yes and no. Yes and no. She, by the time we actually got our money and went into production, she was co-directing Lego Batman in Australia. So she wasn't even able to be with us uh, for the movie. But she brought on John Sumner, who's an artist, fine artist who also works in cardboard as as one of his mediums. So he came up with this beautiful Bible for us. John's stuff is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is nuts. And then her now fiance Jeff White, was our art director who executed everything on set, but also came up with a ton of production design on the fly, so he ended up getting additional production design credit. Um, he brought in this guy, Mike Murnane, who's another fine artist who's done stuff for Lucasfilm and uh, a bunch of others, and he, he's another cardboard, cardboard artist who was essential in, in the look of the film. So it really was a, a snowball rolling down a hill. And then Trisha Gum's specialty... One of them, uh, or what I loved about her work, was her downshooter cut paper animation. So from early on in the script, the opening credit sequence was a paper stop stop motion paper sequence. Um, she ended up not being available to do it with us, but her fiance Jeff put me in touch with Kang Min Kim, who's the Korean guy who did execute the opening credits, and he did an amazing job. And then yeah. Musay Booker also works at Robot Chicken and works in that world and knows all those guys. I don't know if he works for Robot Chicken, but he's definitely done stuff at Stupid Buddy. He ended up doing the closing credits animation, which was a nice combination of cut paper and 2D cell, traditional cell animation. So it it all came, you know, she's sort of the star at the top of the tree, and then we got all these ornaments. That's a terrible metaphor. I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, that's that's good. Also, shout out to Stupid Buddy because they are the shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do they do amazing work. Then they, they they were they were helpful at one point they were actually signed on not signed on, but they were excited about us in the script stage and were potentially gonna be producing partners and then at another point after we got the movie in the can, that was the other thing. We raised enough money to shoot the movie, we didn't raise enough money to finish the movie. So uh we had to then go back and get more to try to get the animations and the sound design and the score sure. and all of that. Uh and that was a long and involved process. We shot it in twenty fifteen. In May of 2015, 20 days of principal photography, but we didn't have a movie until January of 2017. And, by the way, you don't know me, and you don't know what I'm, what I'm about and what I do and what I'm into, but God bless you for, <laughs> for 
for getting work for stop motion animators. Yeah. Um, and and you know I'm a Harryhausen guy, man. Yeah. yeah fuck. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. Let me get yeah. to I'm, a, let me, let I'm an get... original King Kong, original there Clash of the Titans. Okay. There it was. Your your rush your rush I mean, faux pas yeah. is forgiven, sir. <laughs> <laughs> You get those skeletons coming out of the ground swinging swords, and it's, yeah. I'm sold. That's why that's that's why I have an imagination. That's hilarious. The, it's maybe it's me, but the first, when in watching the film, the first thing I thought of is, where are they getting all this cardboard from? <laughs> <laughs> and I understand like there's a there's a bit of a story to that. Yeah, it's it's funny. It it was always in the script. It was a cardboard world from the beginning, and, and a lot of it was you know it's a box fort. And once you go in, everything's been warped through the prism of this box fort. So what's the what's the maze version of sound? What's the maze version of music? What's the maze version of a wall? And it all had to sort of be, you know, even even we filtered voices through through paper and tubes and things like that, cardboard tubing, um, to get all of our our entire palette, our color palette, our, our sonic palette. It was always in the script. But then once we actually got going and we started getting these cardboard artists who love the different kinds of corrugations and, and textures you can get with cardboard and then a, a cinematographer who knew that that was an advantage and not a, a, an obstacle. You know, we just got lucky. We did a couple things. We put the word out, APB, to all our friends, hey, save your save your cardboard, don't recycle it, we'll come by with a truck and pick everything up. And that, that got us a lot of stuff. Um, but we our producer was also smart enough to go out to a few corporations and say, Hey, can we, can we stop by and just pick up what you'd be throwing out anyway? Mm -hmm. I think specifically he was searching for something he saw in an art display that he knew they had on hand at American apparel and was thinking we'd pick up a box of these. If if I'm not mistaken, it turns out I'm mistaken a lot about my memories of how this all happened, but I think it was the spindles that ended up being the spikes, uh, in the, the booby trap with the guy from okay, go. Um, that's what we were looking for. And when we were there, they're like, Hey, if you want any of this other stuff, and they just had eight foot high pallets of cardboard. And we loaded an entire cube truck all on donations, tons of different colors and textures and materials, uh, just drove around LA for, for a day to these different corporate, uh, there was like a target center that let us pick up a bunch of stuff. And we ran out almost right away, uh, Not long into production, so we, again, the producer, just with some ad hustle, we were shooting in a, the whole movie was shot in a single uh, warehouse space in Glendale, and next door was a solar city that had a cardboard designated dumpster, and, you know, we brought them a box of donuts, and they let us raid their dumpster every morning, so every morning started with the producer and the PAs pulling Pulling dumpster out of a car, pulling cardboard out of a dumpster and delivering it to the art department, being like, "Here, here are your tools." And it's like that scene in, in uh, is it Apollo thirteen where they're trapped and the the guy has the box and he dumps it out. He's like, "Here's what's on board. <laughs> Sol- yeah. so- solve the problem," <laughs> uh, which I always thought was Ron Howard's metaphor for filmmaking as it is. But that was very much every morning for the art department was like, "Here's here's what we have." And Annie even says it, or Dave says it, he dumps the bag in that uh, sort of eight bit video game gag, it's like or. 16-bit video game. He's like, here's what we got to work with, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's safe to say that, like, you didn't pay for any of it, any cardboard. I don't think so. I know the, the art director at one point did... I, did like take stole, some, I some of his that you stole it. No, right. Right, right, right. <laughs> you <laughs> were... did take some of his budget to buy some stuff at Home Depot or something like that. I, I think he... 
he sort of pulled me aside after word got out that it was all donated. He was like, there was actually, I did do one run. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I don't think it was 100%, but it was very close too. And everything was pulled out of dumpsters and, and put right back in the recycle bins when we were done. It's kind of heartbreaking. Um, I just had to do it again. And I even had to photo documented it for Instagram because I, I was sad we had these flats. There's that scene where Annie is cutting her way to the center of the maze with the katana sword, and, and you just suddenly see all these rooms pass by really quickly that she's cutting through, these crazy different rooms that we never even had time to visit. One of them is like a, an aquarium, and one of them is like a, um, uh, an observatory like with planets and stars and everything. It's just really quick, mm-hmm. but you had to build the wall to throw the sword through. Right. And I had those walls up until a couple of days ago, and I was like, I just can't keep carrying these things around. So I pull off some of the key key pieces that we'll probably give to, to fans or something sure. like that down the line or send out with DVDs. Or we haven't figured out yet. But I had to recycle these giant walls that these guys built that are just these gorgeous set pieces, and it wow. all just go, goes in a recycle bin. Like, well, what are you going to do? And that in and of itself is a metaphor for art, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's very... <laughs> it totally is. It's very nothing gold can stay. It's I remember... I remember saying to Annie right before destroying the chrysalis. It's, it's yeah. okay. It's okay. I'll, I'll, the I'll movie. make, you know, crunch all you want. We'll make more. What is that, yeah. Doritos? The, the movie uh, is the... That's the product, right? I mean, it's it's everything that you do. If it's a painting, if it's whatever, if you can, you save it. But yeah, ultimately, the movie is that's the art piece, you know. And and, and all these little bricks that everybody has been building um, to create the movie are, you know, they're 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 part of a bigger wall. Yeah, yeah, and it's like what we were saying about don't be precious about everything. Cause yeah. Just tr- trust that trust that more will come you'll you'll build more you'll make more there's you know part of me wants to hold on to every last piece part of me wants to make sure every last piece gets in the hands of someone who would care right you know because i know there are people in towns across internationally at this point because we've played in like 17 different countries who would love to have a piece of the set absolutely Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah yeah So just throwing it away seems seems is heartbreaking, but at the same time, you know, let it go, let it we go, make do. room for for the new stuff to come in. I I do have a question for you. Was the when when the initial idea came up, um, when when the writer was first sitting down and 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 thinking of this, was using a cardboard world and and, and thinking, okay, I only have access to a limited amount of space. And this is a material that's readily available. Um, was that a a part of that decision? Kind of the Robert Rodriguez look. I have a turtle. Yes. And, I, and, and, and yep. the reason why I ask is because uh, the film group I used to be with in Las Vegas did a thing years ago called New Box City, and, <laughs> and it was a it was a world of cardboard. It was a, it, so mm-hmm. you know we were running around with. Oh, you got to send me that. I. I I totally will, and you'll hate me. For <laughs> <laughs> I wasted five minutes. It was, on it. Well, it was a it was a forty eight hour film shoot, so sure. it was like you know. But, oh right, right, of course. But it was but it was cool because um, everything was. It, it didn't matter if, like, for example, if the set got fucked up in between shots. It was cardboard. We threw up another piece of card. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the I mean, the, the, the writer was thinking, oh, this will be fun. We'll shoot it in my apartment with all my friends, and, and we'll, just, we'll just crank it out. Sure. Because this is all so, 
you know, self-contained and, and doable. I think he had a much, he, he, he wanted to write something that we could make, but that could still be fantastic. I don't think he had any sense of the scope of what it ended up becoming. Yeah. The producer and I sort of saw the, the potential in making it something bigger than that. And even every step of the way, it got bigger and bigger still than either the producer or I intended. I remember on that first day when we had name actors that I'm like nervous being in the company of on our set. Then we had these 50, 60 people and these walls that had been thrown up just sort of being like, this is so much You're bigger like, than we'd imagined. Holy you know? shit, this is a real movie. <laughs> yeah, and then even... And it, that never stopped. Like we got, we got our twenty days, and they, you know, every every new set was like, oh my god, it's bigger and better and, and cooler and more beautiful than we thought. And everybody started like, it really caught that momentum, and everyone was like, well, I don't want to be the one who lets them down. So when it's my turn to build this, it's got to be beautiful. Cool. Or when it's my turn to shoot, shoot this scene, I want to be prepared. And then, uh, then we had a rough cut, and we're like, okay, we've got, we've got a real movie. We can do more. And that's when we came up with the. The shot, there was originally at one point in the script, and then we scrapped it, and then we brought it back where the camera pans through the floor, and you see all the gears. Yeah. Where yeah. They, they fall through the pipes, and they turn into puppets. All that stuff we did without actors after principal photography because we're like, look, we, can, we got more than we expected, and now that we have this, we can get even more. Mm. We can make it even better. Um, awesome. So we kept adding... We kept adding to that with with more and more stuff because we wanted we wanted to honor what we had accomplished. You know, we didn't want to skimp, but it, the whole thing all along the way just kept catching a, a kind of momentum that none of us really expected, and it just got bigger and bigger and better and better. And the kind of talent and what the, the ideas and the the effort that people brought to the table to make sure that you know, including the sound designers and the, and the, the the composers who had no time, they had five weeks to come to, wow. to, to lock all of their work because we got into Slamdance and we hadn't finished the movie yet. We hadn't shot, we hadn't designed, built, or shot the Zoetrope. We'd shot the puppet scene but hadn't edited it yet. We didn't have our reels locked so they couldn't get to work. And they, but they were like just the same. Like we are not going to, we're not going to be the ones who drop the ball. It was such a team effort. Everyone saw what we had. By and the, by the no way. one was willing to be the one who dropped the ball, you know? Right. I wanted to say, Huge shout out to um, to composers. Yeah. Both both giant film, you know, giant blockbuster studio films and little indie films because they're usually by necessity they're the last person mm-hmm. to be working on stuff because there's no wiggle room. Yeah, they need yep. a, they need an edited piece so that they can construct a a, a, a sound. It's what we talked about a couple weeks ago, with William Faith, about d- writing music so that. It lands when the fish swims. By. Right, exactly, yeah, and that's that. Because you can't go back and go. I need another ten seconds here. Right, that's what you, you right, got. Right, what you right. got. And right. So consequently, they often have the least amount of time mm-hmm. of anybody yep. on 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 the creation of a film. To, I mean, if you think about it, like oftentimes they're they are creating an entire album's worth of music. There were seventy some music cues in this movie. It's wow. nuts, right? In, in yeah, I mean, we 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 had we were lucky enough that we got permission. Well, I mean, we paid for it, but we got permission from the Equals to use their song in the opening credits, which I had wanted from from the get go. It's such a perfect mm-hmm. send off, such, such a perfect launching pad for the film, and they're one of my favorite bands of all time. So I was really thrilled that I got to um, you know expose them and get to use them. But then the whole the whole idea of this fantasy world 
where you're you're in a place that no one's ever been before. It's like, well, then all of the music has to be original as well. You can't you can't be in this cardboard fantasy world that never previously existed and listening to the fucking Rolling Stones. Not that we could have afforded that, but right. you know, I, I have right. enough musician friends and contacts, and so there's there were songs we could have used, but it had to be all original music because it had to be that the sound had to be as transportative as the visuals, or or it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have landed. As as you take the as you've taken the film around the country and you, and as you say it's 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 played all over the world, are you are you able to look at the finished film objectively? Like like I cringe every time I re look at something <laughs> that I've done. Are you able to? It's a combination. It's a combination. I can't sit from beginning to end through the movie with an audience because I'm too uncomfortable. I've seen it too many times. I I. I you know, I'm worried about audience reaction. I just can't enjoy it quite as much. So what ends up happening is I end up seeing the very beginning and the very end mm-hmm. a lot. And I'm always like, it's slow. Or, or hello, boy. <laughs> they're either going to like it or they're going to hate it. I mean, well, they, we knew from day one we hadn't made a movie for everybody. So I don't yeah. expect everybody to like it, frankly. I've been surprised at how many people have, have responded. But, um, but as a creative there person, are, you always There are just... moments that I, you know, that I would take back. There are a couple... Yeah. Small things, just, yeah. just like oh. there's edits that I would shave. There's one moment of awkwardness that I'm like, you know, I okay. could have held, I could have sat in this awkward moment for twice as long, and I think it would have been sublime. But you know, but uh, as the, but as you got to let it go. But I don't want to be Spielberg, you know, digitally putting walkie-talkies in everybody's hands because, <laughs> you know. Because now I have grandkids, and I don't want to see a gun. Uh, so, uh, dude, whatever. Just make a, make a new movie. Make another movie. Don't right, worry about the last one. A couple of things I wanted to, to talk about as we sort of wind down here. Um, number one, um, the use of the bag puppets mm-hmm. was when great. The, when the characters change. Yeah, they change into sort of bag puppets. Like Fandango, the Fandango ads, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I thought that, is, yeah, that was in, one of my... I was going to say, yeah, that ahead, in and of itself is sort of a little wink towards film production, you know, and, and the and the commercialization of film and, sure. and art. And for me, it was very much, I used to make paper bag puppets and put on shows for my family. So it was still very much in that vein of the, the, the kind of childlike innocence and playfulness you have to have to create. There's a, there's a deep, I mean, well, I, I, I have a feeling, regardless of the film that you would have made, and it just so happens that it's this film. I think separate from all the cardboard stuff, there's a there's a real... I, I, it, what I'm getting from you, and, and that I love, is that there's a real DIY um, aspect to it's your film. It's the making. Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney thing we always talk about. Let's have a show! 100%. In our yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I used to host this really corny, wildly ambitious... Uh, Muppet-esque live vaudeville show and it was like, okay, what's around? Who can do what? You know a burlesque dancer? Great. I got an idea. You know, just oh, how does the lighting booth work? Oh, it can do this? Cool. I have a gag for that. That's yeah. hilarious. That's awesome. What's the physical layout of the stage? Oh, it has two windows? Perfect. I'll pop out of the first window and say, hey, hey, Alex, and you'll pop out of the next window. What's that, Bill? And yeah, it's yeah, laughing. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, laughing. Where, like, wh- what do we have? What do we have and how can we make something how can we make something worth making out of, out of what we have? That's, sure. that's, you know, like I said, that, that moment in, in Apollo 13 that I think is Ron Howard's nod to the nature of filmmaking. It's like, mm-hmm. right. here's what's on the ship. 
and they need to land safely, go. Yeah. Right, right. I also applaud, uh, and I'm trying to be a little oblique here, your, when I saw how you use red crepe paper, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Yeah. That was a late, uh, I think that might have actually been Trisha's idea, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, that might have come out in a meeting with Stupid Buddy when we were talking about the script and trying to get our, our trying to get funded. We hadn't shot it yet, and we were trying to get them on board, and, you know, they had a couple notes on the script and some thoughts, and, and I, I could, again, I could be remembering this, this wrong. It was 2014, but I think that was, Trish might have pitched that in a meeting, and we ran with it, or something like that. I don't, I, I know it wasn't originally, the, the, the earlier versions of the script were very much more sort of bloodbathy horror, sure. um, and, and at some point, when that idea, I do remember when that idea came along, you just could almost hear a click. Yeah. <laughs> where yeah, it was yeah. like, aha. Yeah. Now yeah. we have, now we have something. Now well, we have something unique. There's this, there's this, um, um, a tradition of using like, um, red cloth. Sure. Or, Grand know, Guignol, right? Yeah, exactly. It's all that and, stuff. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and in, and in the stop motion world, you have oh, of course, use, yeah. You have to use like solid materials to represent. I love how we're not talking about what this represents, yeah. but right. to represent what what this represents, and um, it was brilliant. Yeah, I, yeah, and, like yeah, yeah. It, it, even in the trailer, Tom and I were like, oh, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was the thing that got me. Uh, well, I can't. It's, honestly, I can't tell you how much easier it made our lives in terms oh, of comfort level for the actors. The wardrobe department not having to have quadruples of everything right. because they were getting stained and ruined. Let alone um, the cardboard set that damaged. Continuity, that yeah. It would do would be a nightmare. Right. It's like oh, right, you right. Have to repiece, replace that piece of cardboard and that piece of cardboard. Right, exactly. Yeah, continuity would have been would have been like resetting those shots was actually. Yeah. Do you have a broom? Yeah, great. Resetting. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I will tell you that um, a character I loved in the film was Bryn. Ah, yeah. Just so, she's that quintessential sort of horror, especially in a horror film, the completely clueless, Yeah. but every time she shows up, the scene where she sets a trap is... Right. Uh, it, I, I made noise. I was watching this in, yeah, yeah. In, around wow. people, and I was immediately just like, oh my God, that's yeah. just so great. <laughs> well, she, she's, her character is like the light gets... That gets turned on. She, her character reminded me in. of the of the the woman at the window in Evil Dead, like with the whole speech where she's marionetted, right? Where suddenly she reveals herself as part of this all. She's been yeah. brought in or or indoctrinated. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it just yeah. sort of struck me there. Um, just great stuff. Uh, let's see. Yeah, she did such a good job with that too. Uh, yeah. And what a fun what a fun character to get to be just a person and then get transformed, but then play, having to play the maze, trying to pretend everything's okay, but then getting into the, getting to be the voice of the maze at the same time. You know, just yeah. Like, yeah. so many fun levels. And since, she did such an amazing job. Since What's, watching the film with my wife, I keep going, high five. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> what, what is that actress's, is what man, what is that man. actress's name, Bill? Stephanie Allen. Yeah. She's on uh, One Mississippi with her wife, Tignataro. Oh, she's married to Tignataro. 
Yeah. Uh, look at or how See? how patched in are you to the L.A. comedy scene? Because you're hitting all these names. That... <laughs> uh, well, I. I... I don't get invited to anything, but so, I'd go okay. if I was. Okay, so we're, this is kind of working a little backwards. We usually start out with asking people where they're from, what their childhood was like, blah, blah, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's pretty obvious if you watch the movie. Um, <laughs> but I'm good. Well, I, I'm going to ask you are you from L.A. or did you move there to make movies? No, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I used to make movies as a kid with a VHS camera. I had a, a, a trilogy of alien invasion movies starring action figures that you would recognize <laughs> from the worlds of, of G.I. Joe and Star Wars. Um, but, I, yeah, I just grew up in this idyllic, almost 1950s-style suburban neighborhood, just neighborhood-wide kick, neighborhood kick-the-can games, yeah. uh, riding bikes to each other's houses to watch Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, that's just a, you know, a great, great childhood growing up. And then I went into rock and roll by the end of college. I was playing rock and roll, and I moved to Ireland for four years to play in indie rock bands over there. I moved back to Cleveland, played in rock bands for a while, and when everything kind of blew up, okay, um, I'd, had, I'd started working film and TV as a PA, and a friend of mine who was writing for Crank Yankers, who kind of, at my first trip to L.A., toured me on the set of Crank Yankers. So I was like, oh, people just get together and make stuff got it that's mm. what i want right he needed a roommate so my bands broke up and the, by the end of the month i was driving out to la wow that's awesome that is very cool yeah. every time i hear the the word cleveland ohio i always get in the back of my head that echoey ohio from the ian hunter no one ever sings or the president of the united states cover that was the uh theme song for the drew carey show yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things I saw on your acting IMDb was a, was a role in Jersey Boys. Yeah. Um, I'm as, interested. I'm as a bass player. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty awesome. Um, I'm fascinated about that film for a couple of reasons. It's directed by Clint Eastwood. Right. And none of that makes sense. <laughs> right. So, that well, one, I don't, I don't get that at all. I don't, I, I mean, the only logical connection for me is how much of a fan of music he is yeah. but not necessarily that music well people forget <laughs> but, that but the, the car led to he actually wanted to cast musicians and we actually played we plugged in and played live oh, for that's, every take. that's very See, cool that's cool that's totally cool. yeah which was exciting and and, and nerve-wracking and fun and <laughs> that's i don't read a... music so i had to fake and pretend that i could read music <laughs> that's got to be a pinch pinch me moment right when eastwood is telling you what to do uh, well, there was a moment when I was, on, I ended up, you don't see me in the scene, but I was, I was in it. There was a moment where I was on stage, Clint Eastwood was behind me, Christopher Walken was, uh, you know, wow. 50 yards in front of me, and Eastwood was doing his Walken impression <laughs> while I was, while I was tuning up my bass, and I was like, you know, for a Tuesday, this is going pretty bad. good. <laughs> it's going pretty well. Um, so tell me about how, now that we've, we've, We've interrogated you for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> how do people go about seeing the film? Is it available on iTunes? Oh, wonderful. Yeah, thank you for, for bringing that up. Yeah, we're on iTunes, we're on Amazon, uh, PlayStation, Xbox 360, Voodoo, the, uh, the, the on-demand services that YouTube and Vimeo have, Google Play, uh, Cox Cable, DirecTV, I mean, all the, all the cable, mm -hmm. uh, Time Warner, all, all of that as well. Um, you can pre-order the DVD and Blu-ray on Amazon. 
Um, you can go to our website, uh, com, and there's a screenings page to find out, because we are still showing up for, like, one-offs at Alamo Draft Houses and, and nice. art house theaters and stuff. We just got picked up in Lancaster, PA, for a run at one of their art houses. I think we're cool. up in, still up in Arcata, North, North, uh, Northern California. And, and that's, that's sort of, hopefully that's a kind of brush fire thing that's going to keep happening, that these yeah. art houses are going to, you know, not that we're Rocky Horror, but they're going to, you know, get wind of us and want us to screen and hey, maybe do Skype, so Skype Q&As and stuff like that. You know, you just saying that just made me think, like, this is the perfect project to turn into a uh, musical. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> plus, plus, I think there are worse things that can happen to a film than it being on the Midnight Movies. Absolutely. You know? I'm yeah. dying to be on the Midnight. I'm hoping there's that one or that one city that's like, hey, can we just have you, you know, one Saturday a month at midnight? Yeah. God, yes, of course you can. Like that's that's where we belong. Okay. I think so. Are, well, they they, I, I they still do so. shadow casts for Rocky Horror. Believe right. it or not, there are shadow casts for uh, Repo the Genetic Opera because, huh? Who knows why? <laughs> but but there is. I know um, the the room still gets. I mean, oh most of the God, theaters the that room. we're playing in are also playing the room and Rocky Horror and all that. I mean, that's yeah. where we belong. We're sure we're yeah. weird. Cults out there. <laughs> we're fun weird. <laughs> we're Look, weird. Damn it, see my yeah. T-shirt. I'm weird. I could see people bringing, you know, uh, silly string and yarn and throwing it at the screen. Yeah. At, at how stoked? Little sack puppets. Yes. How yeah. stoked are you going to be yeah. the first time you see someone at a like a like San Diego with a cardboard Dude. hand? That's going to be bad. Oh end. God, I can't wait. Someone did send us <laughs> on Instagram because we are selling uh, on our website. We're selling that. Uh, video game shirt that Gordon wears, just uh-huh. a t-shirt with a cool logo on it, and someone did, took a picture on Instagram and called it Gordon Cosplay, because he had this sweater, <laughs> like, he had, like the, the Kurt Cobain sweater and everything, and the beard, and I'm like, oh, oh my god, it, that's amazing. That's but yeah, cool. I want to be around forever, I mean, we're a weird Comic-Con movie, we're, sure. we're, we're gonna find our audience over time, and, and I think we're, it, it's a movie that does pay off in terms of repeated viewings because we did pack the frame with so much information yeah. but there's there's oh, always a lot it's, to it's see such you know cool, if if it gets on Netflix is that, is it going to be do you have you know any idea if Netflix is going to fix it up we have we have one deal that I I don't think I can discuss okay. for 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 we, we will be in, in some of the more traditional online here's, streaming well, services I'm, here's here's the I'm saying that because though Netflix and sites like that they're little they're they're uh, repositories for people that to discover films, right? And it's really right. That way. Exactly, and that's well, and that's cool. But I also feel like they are. We have when when a movie goes to Netflix, especially if it's a small indie movie, at least for me, uh, it feels like we've wrung everything we can out of this movie, mm. and now right. and now we're. But it's also how most people see their films these days. It's true, but yeah. but the filmmaker like. Bill doesn't make any fucking sure. money off. So go buy this not real right. money. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be yeah. nice. That'd uh, be fi- nice. And finally, when I ask you about the, you said it was coming out on Blu-ray. Or will there be extras like behind the scenes? Yeah, stuff? we were just um, just signing off on some of the those. There's some fun stuff. We got to do a nice behind the scenes kind of. Here's what it was like for us making the movie. Awesome. Uh, that's and you get to meet a lot of the, the people who who the artists and stuff who part of the crew. Um, there's, uh, we just, we put up a little teaser that we shot in 2013 to try to raise funds that, that's really silly. Um, 
little things like that. Some of the intros that we filmed for film festivals uh, or, or intros that we've done live at, at theaters that we recorded. Uh, what else is on? There's some, there's some fun stuff. I mean, one day when we have time and resources, which are two things we've never had, uh, I, will sh- I will put together Harry's actual documentary. Yeah, that he that he that he shot and edited, and I'll bring in James to do a voiceover. You know, oh, that's, see, these, that's like, badass. Cheesy that's... stock footage, yeah. uh, you know, like the setting sun and heard, and all this stuff. I heard you obliquely earlier say um, this this new film you're working on. What is that? Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, the script is out. It's going to the script is finished. It's going to start to the production companies. The the, to pull the curtain back a little bit, the process for me has been at, at our, our sort of marquee audience award win at Slamdance and our, our, even our involvement in Slamdance led to me getting some meetings and some phone calls and I ended up getting presented by a manager and an agent. Nice, and nice. what they do is they set up general meetings for you where you go to production companies or, or whoever it may be and you, and you, or studios, you meet with them. They've seen your movie and they want to meet with you, which is great, because especially in, in my case, it is such a particular film, but it's a great litmus test. Mm-hmm. Like, if you see this movie and they're like, I gotta meet this guy, you get great, it. you're gonna like the weird shit that I wanna make. Right. If yeah. you see this movie and you're like, this is arty and weird and small, and I don't get it, then great, there's no reason for us to meet, because I don't, I'm probably not gonna enjoy making your movies. Right, right. Um, so I've gotten to meet with some very exciting production companies who are doing Sweet. movies you, you have seen. <laughs> um, and they, they like my aesthetic and they like my ability to, to play with, you know, to mix and mash tone and, um, and to world build, which, is, which are the kinds of things I want to keep awesome. doing because those yeah. are the kinds of movies I always loved and they don't make them anymore. They're, they're too weird. They just don't make them and, and I, I want to. Um, right on. You know, and uh, so yeah. So the next movie's written. It's about a musician. It's got monsters. It's got uh, a secret religious order oh, that there. I'm there. Yeah. that have uh, that battle with ancient Shaolin kung fu weapons. Um, it's hilarious. It's very music driven. Uh, it's got a great bass player that I if if I weren't directing the film, I'd be playing in a heartbeat. Mm. Right Tom, Tom and I are both trying to hide our erections right, right now. Right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll tell you, dude. I'm I'm sold. I'm sold on whatever you're gonna do yeah. from from here on. I, I, <laughs> nice. I, I love the aesthetic. I love the the subtlety with which you employ everything. And uh, I I wish you all the success in the world. Man. Absolutely. Oh, and, thank you. Thank and, you very much. And I would like to uh, extend an invitation to you to come back and talk about. <laughs> Not necessarily even what you're working on, but just talk about movies. Yeah, uh, we do that. We have, yeah. Once you're on as a guest, the next we'll have you anytime you want to come back. It, we have you on, and, the, and we love to pick um, topics that you would awesome. not normally talk about. If you happen to see that we're doing a, a show about fucking I, who knows, who knows anyway. what, yeah, yeah, then please. I'll, yeah, I would be. I'd be thrilled. I'd love to jump in. All right. <laughs> well, uh, we're gonna head out of here for a minute. Thank you so much for coming on, and again, you're invited back anytime. It'd be an honor. This was a blast. Right on, sir. Appreciate it. Well, we'll we'll be back in just one second. We're all wired into a survival trip now. No more of the speed that fueled the 60s. That was the fatal flaw in Tim Leary's trip. 
He crashed around America selling consciousness expansion without ever giving a thought to the grim meat-hook realities that were lying in wait for all those people who took him seriously. All those pathetically eager acid freaks who thought they could buy peace and understanding three bucks a hit. But their loss and failure is ours too. What Leary took down with him was the central illusion of a whole lifestyle that he helped create. A generation of permanent cripples, veiled seekers, who never understood the essential old mystic fallacy of the acid culture. The desperate assumption that somebody, or at least some force, is tending the light at the end of the tunnel. So we're back. Bill. Yeah, right? awesome. I, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, it was that, the interview was everything I, I had hoped. Yeah. And, that, that's and for folks who have not had a chance to see this movie, for, for God's sakes... You know, Bill listed all the streaming services that yeah. it's available on. Check this movie out; it's really good. Super smart, funny. Yeah, um, has a lot to say about art, and as as a lot of our uh, listeners are creative people, I think that's a good thing to hear. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to a, an avalanche of deaths this week yeah. that we'll, we'll buzz through. Uh, we'll start with. Um, Edith Windsor, she was an American LGBT rights activist. Right. Super important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I've been uh, hearing a lot of tributes to her mm-hmm. on, oh, like CBC Radio and, and, and NPR mm-hmm. and uh, her her um, her marriage to her partner uh, was huge mm-hmm. and and and. and Paved the way for a lot of stuff that came later. People on. forget how, like, not more than twenty or thirty years ago, it was unheard of. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, that that was that was a tough one. Another person, uh, Francis Xavier X um, Atenzio, he was a songwriter for Disney, who wrote things like "Grim Grinning Ghosts" and most of the songs you hear on their rides, and a lot of the music for the cartoons. Sure. This guy, this guy seemed like. Um, He's in that same room with Carl Stalling and the Sherman Boys. Right. Doing all that stuff. Uh, Michelle Rounds. Um, this happened yesterday. Michelle Rounds, she was Rosie O'Donnell's ex-wife. She committed suicide. Hmm. Um, and there's that. And any time I hear about that, I just... There's a sadness. Yeah, think, absolutely. Uh, um, and now we're in the... Now we're in the some of the bigger, bigger ones here. Yeah. Uh, Grant Hart, a guitar player for Husker Du. Yeah. Young. Yeah, in his fifties, young, and I—I I don't know if I've read what the cause of death was. I, or, or, um, I know a lot of the, not a lot of the, but a couple of the the band members from that three piece um, had drug problems throughout mm-hmm. their life. So hopefully sure. that's not it's, what contributed to this. It kills me when you, and this isn't just even in recent years, but if you look back, you know great artists you know you look at the troubles that van gogh had sure and and a lot of other people where it was like the madness was was what killed them but in the end also it's, it's also what so drove their creativity you and, don't and get to van gogh paintings without a little a little touch of yeah that, absolutely you know? um by the way a band that I don't think it's name checked enough I agreed uh I, I i love that band um Something I hadn't really put together until his death, and and people were kind of connecting the dots for me. Um, the Foo Fighters, uh, uh, 
big influence on, on Dave Grohl. Oh, and, Husker and, Du was the big yeah, influence yeah, yeah. on Dave Grohl. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. And and and, and I did too. As soon as yeah. I heard it, I'm like, well, of course, yeah. You know, Dave Grohl, there's a part of me that just thinks, you should hate this guy. But it's really hard. It's hard to because he is so obviously... Just a good guy. A nice guy. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's see. Frank Vincent was in Casino, Sopranos. Big, like, a lot of mobsters. Played a lot of mobsters. Talk about movie helper. Yeah. Yeah, that dude. Yeah. Yeah. Get your shine box. Mm -hmm. It was that that guy. Yep. Um, And then the last three... I don't even know where to start. These are hard, man. Number one, we'll start with Len Wein. Um, Writer for uh, comics... Developed with Bernie Wrightson, Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing, yeah. Um, uh, wow. Yeah. I was on Ron Pertee's podcast the night that we, we found out that he died, and, and Ron had a good point. He, he called him, like, he was a journeyman comic writer. Right. And if you look over his bibliography, he's, I, I'll call him like a hole filler. Like, I've got this big story arc here and a big story arc here, but i got these few issues in the middle that I don't know what to do with. Give him the Len. Yeah. And Len would knock it out of the park. Yeah, um, that was that's a tough. That was that was tough. Yeah. Um, and then there's another two. Yeah. I'm going to start with both are fucking punches. I know. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to start with Harry Dean Stanton. Right. Who at nine in his nineties, it wasn't a certain and, and given his lifestyle, it's not a surprise that he passed. Right. But it doesn't make it any more palatable. No. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton is one of. Uh, uh, if you talk about American acting icons, mm-hmm. and I don't mean the Tom Cruises or even the John Waynes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking the guy that is always there. And for at least much of his life, never changed. Never. He, was, he, was, he, was, he was always the same. He could always be counted on. And, and part of, I'm sure part of his casting... Um, came from that is that oh like, sure like we this want this guy yeah yeah we want this guy we want the harry dean stanton guy yeah um he uh i loved the fact that he was unapologetic about his lifestyle yep he at once recently said that if he were to stop drinking and smoking they would kill him yeah <laughs> and um just living in your skin suit you know yeah occupying 110 percent of your space yeah uh, i just saw a video of him and johnny depp um, on and Chris Christopherson on stage singing um, some song. I forget what it was, and um, just amazing. Yeah, you know, I lump him into people like Thompson. Yeah, Bukowski. Exactly. He, he 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 definitely fits in that room, and I highly recommend the documentary. That and 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 I. You know, fuck me for not having looked it up prior to coming on the show. But there was a documentary just recently, about just him. in the last couple of years, about Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. And, and so just type in Harry Dean Stanton documentary. Also, he's got a new movie coming out called Lucky. That Dude, looks it looks amazing. amazing. Yeah, we it, talked about the trailer at one yeah. point. Yeah. And uh, and and again, fucking cool. The guy was working up until the very end. Yeah. 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 You. As Kevin Smith says, big bucket of win yeah. on this guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then finally, Basil Gogos. Man. Damn it. Yeah. Basil was a guy who, if you're unfamiliar with Basil's work, he did used to do all the covers for Famous Monsters of Filmland. He was one of those journeyman people that did a lot of you know commercial art. Um, 
Beautiful and stuff. His stuff is one immediately um, identifiable. Mm-hmm. He's like Frazetta. Yeah, you see a Gogos, you know it's a Gogos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, his, and primarily because of his use of color, mm-hmm. his he'll have a portrait of a famous monster, and a quarter of it will be blue, <laughs> and then a quarter of it will be. And it works. It totally works. It's amazing. And, uh, uh, again, we say this time and time again, one of the nicest guys in the world. We interviewed him for Carbon Octum 20, and um, I he couldn't have been nicer. Yeah. And couldn't have been more, you know, self-effacing. And, like, I tell you, if you want... I that, mean, that whole thing of, like, you know, oh, what I do isn't that special. Yeah. And you're like, like you're, yeah, fuck you. You're, fuck you're, you. You're amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, if you, as first of all, do a do a Google search on just Basil Gogos and prepare to be blown away. Yeah. But then when you're done with that, um, do Basil Gogos pencils. Because yeah. his pencil work was amazing. It's amazing. And it didn't get, I can't think of a single time that mm-hmm. it was published. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, there's a, his paintings. There's a bride drawing he did that's phenomenal for more there's a there's a wolfman one that is the shit for more contemporary (laughs) fans of genre um you'll recognize one of his paintings as a cover for a rob zombie yeah the the dragula whatever that record was um and uh i i saw him once um being interviewed but it was one of those weird things where, like, they they had... He was kind of like a horror host. Mm-hmm. The uh, Doyle from The Misfits... Oh, okay. ...was hosting some crappy yeah. horror film, and he had as a guest... Basil? Basil Gogos. Well, you know... It was so weird. Kirk Hammett was doing that traveling con yeah, yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And if you go on YouTube, you can find Kirk Hammett um, from Metallica yeah. in, interviewing Basil. And it's wild to watch the guitar player from Metallica go complete fanboy yeah, yeah, on yeah. this guy. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I met him at a Monster Palooza. Uh, Basil or Kirk? Basil. Okay. And uh, so everybody always says when you go to conventions, if you really want to meet people and talk to them, go to the bar. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Yeah. But the other, the, there's a, the, the other side of that coin is when nothing is going on in the wee hours of the morning... Go hang out in the lobby of the hotel. Oh, sure. Because those people have to check in and mm-hmm. check out, just like everybody. See everybody. And that's how I met Linda Blair. That's how I met really? Gogos. That's yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, I booked I booked Amplis at Crypticon that there, way. Yeah, exactly. We yeah, were having yeah. coffee in the morning, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But Basil, yeah, Jesus, I, uh, it, it was tough. Yeah, I felt a personal another, connection. Another, another, exactly, another example of someone who's. He was very elderly. Yes. Um, despite whatever he did to his hair, he, he was an old man, yeah. and uh, yeah. and so yeah. And we've talked about this before, where it's like, yes, it's sad, but they lived a full life. Full life, yeah. But it doesn't take away from the pain and the that loss guy, that absolutely. the world experiences when somebody like that goes away. The uh, the other cool thing about Basil, and, and we'll move on to this, but um, as of late. A guy that could do so much, he'd gotten into a lot of his paintings, recent paintings were expressionistic. Yeah. Swaths of color across the canvas yeah. as opposed to, here's a duck. Yes, Or exactly. whatever. Um, yeah. And it's great because 
Or in his case, a duck with fangs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's great to know that even at someone's advanced age, you can still find worlds to explore within your art talent. Uh, Let's see. Moving on to news. um, There's a lot of this stuff, too. Greatest American Hero is getting a uh, gender-swapped reboot. Sure. Um, It had to happen, I guess. I guess. Sooner or later. People, nostalgia sells. We're in this this crazy 80s nostalgia thing. I don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah, I blame Stranger Things and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't care less about it, but I thought it was interesting. Nor I. Speaking to that that 80s nostalgia thing, um, somebody at work came up to me and says, Hey, man, you've got somebody who worked on Stranger Things on your show? And and uh, talking about Kevin McCarthy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'm like, yeah, but you should go check out all their other shit. <laughs> yeah, isn't that always the way? Yeah. Um, last week we talked about Ed Screen turning down the Hellboy role right. because it was uh, it was a little whitewashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just cast Daniel Day Kim. Excellent choice. He was in Lost. He was in um, Hawaii Five O. He's a great actor. Yes. And he looks like that character. Agreed. Yeah. But, it's the internet. Yes. So now people are bitching because um, the character is Japanese and Daniel is Oh, god damn it. At some point, stop it. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Don't even know what to say to that. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know what to that's say like, to that. That's like saying uh, English people shouldn't play American actors. It's stupid. That's... I just... It just shows you the pettiness of the internet. Right, I Exactly. Guess. Um, this week they released a photo of David Harbour from Stranger Things as Hellboy. Right. Uh, looks remarkably looks like great. Ron Perlman. Yeah, looks... <laughs> <laughs> looks ridiculously like yeah. Ron Perlman. I, I mean, my feelings on this project are, look, more Hellboy, cool. Sure. I'm all for it, right? I just... I just don't understand why... Yeah. And I'm not going to bitch and complain about it because, again, I like I like the property. I like Mignola. I like Mignola's doing involved in the script. Yeah, and, you know? and so I. That's all very cool. I I just I just don't understand. Well, why I, who it's knows? Taken I away. mean, I would think that Del Toro would have been given the opportunity to go. Okay, not Hellboy two. You know, pull right. back from that a yeah, little yeah. bit. Give him the opportunity. But then again, Del Toro's got. Projects up to his ears. By the way, I'm hearing nothing but swoony reviews Dude, of the Shape of Water. Shape of water. I, I I rarely do this, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's going to be his uh, best movie I can't so far. imagine. It, it looks nuts, and everyone who's seen it says it's nuts. Yeah. And it, and it has the added bonus of being his... Uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon story, yeah, with the, which he's always wanted to do, yeah, and you can't help but think that it's an Abe Sapien. You had said that before, and a, I think a, it's so r- such a brilliant a, a, a idea. Really, I, I I I am beyond the moon thrilled for this movie. Yeah, everything I see of it looks great. Yeah, um, so, small thing. Uh, John Oliver was renewed from John uh, last week with yeah. John Oliver, renewed for three years. Good, good. For, yeah, yeah, great. Good, we can use. He's, he's super smart. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have um, John, John, Stewart John Stewart anymore yeah, 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 to, yeah. To, to provide that kind of coverage. And Some would argue people like Marr or Trevor mm. Noah, but, but no. the, 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 the issue with 
Yeah. They're not right, funny. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. Trevor Noah, it, it's it's there's a couple of instances where you can pick out where they're funny. Right. Um, but for the most part, a lot of it lands heavy. He's a terrible interviewer. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Afghanistan, um, 7,000 lost films that were hidden from the Taliban. Someone digitized them and put them up on How the badass of that. That's that great. was very cool. That Anytime we can save art from mm-hmm. fucking madmen. And that's, it's not just the Taliban. It's the same people that want to butt ban books. And, right, exactly. You know. Anybody who wants to yeah, suppress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, George R. R. Martin's Night Flyers is coming to sci-fi as a series. Okay. Uh, Night Flyers was a... In space movie mm-hmm. where there it's a ship in space and right. this thing breaks out some kind of an every outlet. time I hear the title I think of two things I think of the Stephen King short story right. and I think of a movie from the seventies with I believe James Coburn with these dudes they on parasails yeah they come in yeah the exactly two thing yeah 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 wasn't that Von, no that wasn't Von Ryan's Express God damn it. no but it was I know exactly yeah, what yeah you know about. what I'm talking about and they, they come in under the cover of night with with frickin' um, hang gliders. Hang gliders. Yeah. yeah. It's World War II hang gliders. And I want to say it's called Knife Flares, but I'm not sure. Wow. Yeah. That's a deep pull. <laughs> I love that. Um, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, um, the film we talked about, about right. the creator. Very um, excited. Very excited about that. The director, Angela Robinson, is directing a film version of Terry Moore's comic, Strangers in Paradise. Oh. Um, that could be cool. Could be cool. Yeah. Very set in the real world kind mm-hmm. of thing and yeah. and um man I want to see that Professor Marston I know movie. I can't uh, I you know I just really hope they don't that's a that's a pre-order for me on Amazon yeah and, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna own that movie um here we uh oh warning Star Wars whoa Star Wars Episode 9 they fired the director Kev, uh, Colin Trevorrow Trevor, right um, Wait, is this the same movie that the other dudes got fired from? No. Oh. That's, they, the other dudes got fired from the Han Solo thing, and, oh, and right, Ron right, Howard right, took right, over. Right, right. Colin Trevorrow got fired from Episode Nine, and now J.J. Abrams is doing it, which you knew that had to happen at some point. So, uh, so again, this just reiterates the point that, like, if you're going to work for these guys, you're making their movie, yeah. not your movie. It's pretty clear. It's yeah. like... When you start presenting footage that isn't to their vision, mm-hmm. they'll they'll fire you. Yeah, because they're know. like, dude, anybody we have too will... much money tied up in yeah. this. Number one, number two, at this point, especially with uh, Star Wars and the Marvel films, they're so interconnected yeah. that we can't let you go off because you're going to fuck up plans for five more movies. Right. So right. I get it. That's why bringing Abrams on is perfect because he's like. Yeah, I, I know sure. how to play ball. Yeah. yeah, sure. Speaking of the guys that got fired from Han Solo, their names are Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. They did the Lego movie. They did. They wrote Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which right. it's a kids movie. But if you've never got a chance to see Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, it's fucking hilarious. Yeah, um, genuinely funny. Um, Weird choice for them to direct Star Wars in the first place. Yeah. Well, supposedly, what I was reading is is that the cast was. They were kind of shooting it like a sitcom. Mm-hmm. You know, everything was quippy and funny, and it was like a comedy. And, right. then, and then the studio was like, no way. <laughs> Which weird, because you, you got you the hired comedy these guys. guys. Yeah. yeah, so they're doing a... The next project is something called We Can Do Better. And all they did was uh, talk about the title. Okay. Uh, this one I'm excited about. Wong Kar Wai, who did Chungking Express, right. is doing a crime series for Amazon called Tong Wars. Cool. Into it, um, 
Wong Kar Wai is a great guy to get. I yeah. don't know that he's necessarily suited for a crime story, because most of his are relationship films. Right, right. And then it's got me thinking about Johnny Toe, mm-hmm. who's a director of, he did Triad, Triad Society. Right. This sounds like, Tong Wars sounds like something that Johnny Toe yeah. land. Mm-hmm. And I wonder about that. I wonder if he's going to pull other directors in, or if he's just going to shoot the whole series. He may, he may, he may be bringing in the people that work on those movies, Sure. Too. He could also just be doing, like, I'm going to do the first couple, like, a, like you know, they do a lot. I'm going to do the first couple, and then right. we're going to hand it off to other people. But anything Wong Kar Wai is involved in. Um, May 17th, 2019, it's the release date for John Wick 3. Okay. Why, do, why does this take two years? I don't know. You know, I look at that, and I go, either Keanu Reeves is completely booked up, or the directors are completely booked up with things like Deadpool 2 and whatever else. Right. Or they may be looking at, we need more. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. we need to... I, I wonder about them, real, the realization that they may have written themselves into a corner. Mm-hmm. Or into a different franchise. Right. And that's, that would be a concern. Yeah. Because definitely at the end of John Wick 2, you think, wait a minute. This isn't the, this isn't the premise that I kind of signed on for. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. So, uh, Lego Movie Two, they announced will deal with quote gender issues. Okay. It sounds like, you know, girls can be heroes too. Okay. That, and I'm all for that. Sure, sure. Kevin Spacey's doing a Gore Vidal bio. Uh, Makes more sense sure. than his fucking Bobby Darren bio. Uh, dude, the Bobby <laughs> Darren movie is good. It's a good movie. Yeah. Beyond the Sea is a good movie. Yeah. It I think there's an age problem. That, well, you know, sure. Darren died in his early late 30s, early 40s. Yeah. Kevin Spacey was, what, in his late 50s when he did it. So. Yeah, but the the love that he had for that, I mean, that was a passion project, and mm-hmm. the love that he had for it shows through. Absolutely. Right? And, and, and I, I thought it. I thought it was a good film, so... <laughs> uh, here's one that I don't get. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis on Instagram put up a picture of her announcing that she's coming back to the Halloween franchise. Didn't we already do this? Yeah. Um, Doesn't it feel like a cash grab? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe, you know, the money from the uh, probiotic commercials is <laughs> running Well, out. she's on that Scream Queens series. Yeah. And... Um, I, you know, this I think is the film though that Daniel Danny McBride from Eastbound and Down yeah. is writing. So it's quirky and weird. It enough. could be interesting. Yeah. yeah, I I don't know that what what Laurie Strode in her sixties. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't just, know. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. A um, couple more. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 4 is being pulled together. Right now they're looking for, quote, a big name to play Axel Foley's partner. Doesn't this sound like Rush Hour, maybe, yeah. or any other mismatched cop buddy movie? It sounds to me like another one of these, hey, 80s is hot right 80s now. 80s is Let's, hot. Yeah. Where's Harold Faltermeyer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell you where he is. Harold Faltermeyer, that... Uh, did the Axles theme yeah. is doing the music for Family Guy yeah. and he has been for a long time and finally he's smart finally <laughs> this kind of makes sense James Cameron's going to be producing a TV series based on True Lies oh uh, okay yeah sure sure you, you need something to finance them Avatar movies that yeah. you're making the four more I, that yeah, you're going to make 20 films 
under the ocean, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. we have to shoot this on location. Yeah, exactly. And the so we're going to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. That's that's gangster though. That guy going to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. I couldn't imagine myself oh, doing that. I I don't I don't I don't take anything away from James Cameron with these grandiose things, but uh, at the same time, I'm like, just fucking, just make a fucking make movie. a goddamn movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, moving on to trailers, um, we're going to start with something called the sense of ending. Yeah, go ahead. Drama set basically in two time periods. Is it, what I got. From that's it. what was interesting about it. this is the one with the Jim Broadbent, right? Yes. Yeah, um, it looks very interesting. I like that idea for storytelling where we are, in some cases, mirroring the exact uh, camera angles and mm-hmm. stuff, but the situations are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and time has passed. There's definitely some mystery or something mm-hmm. that is needing to get cleared up. At first, I thought it was just kind of a, uh, I don't know, uh, relationship love story. Type yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. But then quickly in the trailer, you realize there's something that's happened in the past, and, and and so that makes me really interested. It strikes me as a. Um I'll definitely add it to my queue on Netflix. Sure. Not, sh- not so sure about a... Theatrical. Night out, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Next up is something called Elephant Song. has to do with a guy that's in, a, in an insane asylum trying to justify his way out. Right. And he has... He's got a card up his sleeve in that someone has gone missing and he is either instrumental in where that person is or mm. he knows where they are. And is trying to pull some strings. It seemed like he was manipulating his way. Like, you never really get whether he's truly crazy or not. Right. But, like, a lot of good sociopath, psychopath, he's able to rationalize his way out of just about anything. Yeah, yeah. And it just seems, it seems really interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. It has uh, uh, Captain Keener in it. (laughs) Yes. It has... um, Looking pretty dowdy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, who was the other big actor? I forget the guy, the guy who plays the doctor. But, yeah, it, it look, again, definitely adding it to my queue. Yeah. Uh, doesn't scream cinema. Um, documentary called Take Every Wave. It's a pretty much a, bi- a bio on uh, L- Laird Hamilton. Yeah. Um, Laird's a, what is known as a big wave rider. Yeah. He rides those 100-foot giant... Giant. There's a great movie, waves, if you can yeah. find it, called Step in the Liquid. Yeah. Where they talk about... They show a lot of that stuff. This is like, yeah, 9,500-foot swells. Yeah. Uh, he's also the maker of the... Hide, the the um, It's a surfboard with a hydrofoil. Yeah. and Which is the cool, one of the coolest things ever. Yeah, he... Uh, he's married to Daisy Fuente. So. If I'm... If I'm not mistaken, he's also the guy that, that started that whole, I don't know what you call it, but the trick surfing, mm-hmm. where you strap your feet to the board, and now you can do yeah. you can do flips and all yeah, kinds yeah, of yeah. crazy shit. Yeah. He he talks about in the docu- in the trailer about how the ocean for him was a, a place to escape to, mm. and, you know, add that with a innate inventiveness yeah. and a willing to put your ass on the line, Yeah, and you get Laird Hamilton. And they also talk about the... Uh, how he, and I'm guessing this is through personality, um, kind of alienated other surfers and mm-hmm. people who... Yeah, he's kind of a dick. Yeah. But you got to be a dick. you got to be super self-assured to right. do the stuff that he does. Yeah, because you don't see other people. No, no, no. Yeah. It takes a, a special kind of brass balls to have a... Um, 
a uh, uh, jet ski haul you in front of a hundred foot wave. Yeah, it's not. And when, and when you say a hundred foot wave, think about that. That is a hundred feet. feet of weight and power. There is a this line. Yeah, it's not a static thing. Yeah, this it's thing moving. is alive. There's a um, a line in Step in the Liquid where he's talking about big wave riding, and he goes, "Once you're there, you you have to make it." Yeah. Otherwise, there's tons of water behind you, yeah. and that will just ch- churn you up. Um, I'm looking over your shoulder. Uh, Laird Hamilton has a book called Force of Nature, which is kind of a cross between biography and sort of self-help book mm-hmm. and, and what have you, loaded with pictures. Cause yeah. <laughs> yeah. For a bunch of reasons, but um, it's interesting as well. We're looking up. You can find. I found mine in a bargain yeah. bin. At if you're into surfing, if you're into skateboarding, if you're into good. Um, documentaries about personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, this looks great, and hopefully it'll address those those accusations of yeah, yeah, being yeah. kind of a jerk. Yeah. Next up, a film called Fanny's Journey. It's a child that leads other children to freedom. You know what it reminded me of? A children's version of In of the, In of the Six Happiness with Ingrid Bergman. Oh, okay. You know where she yeah, yeah. this this person is leading these children. It reminded to me of like a gritty version of. The Sound of Music. Yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's, it's essentially these kids are escaping um, Nazis mm-hmm. in, during World War II uh, based on a true story. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's there's fake documents and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, the adult who's kind of with them, for whatever reason, can't continue. And this character, Fanny, who's like the... the Looks like ten, ten, not even ten. Is kind of like you're in charge yeah. get, of all these kids. Get all these kids across yeah. the looks border. Looks great. It looks cool. Absolutely yeah. great. Uh, next up, Charismata. Um, I'm excited about this for one reason. It feels like a Satanic Panic movie. Yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, it was a murder mystery. Very. It was a woman. Oh, cop. and 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 we're and we're talking about um, there 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 might be a whole Satanic cult yeah. behind. Yeah, 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 it looks very cool. Yeah, yeah very cool. Very, uh, very much in that 80s yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. satanic yeah. panic kind of thing. By the way, I, I love that you're starting to to post the uh, the list of trailers. Yeah, you can you find the list of trailers. I keep yeah. I keep the playlists up for So you're not just hearing us talk about it. Yeah, you, you can, can actually go back and, and go, yeah. yeah, he's an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this, this movie looks stupid. Um, let's see, next up, Bleeding Steel, this Jackie Chan sci-fi thing. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I don't either, because, but because cause there's it seems like two different worlds almost. Yeah. Like there's like this weird, uh, I don't know. I, I this is a horrible description, but comic booky mm-hmm. world, and then there's like this gritty police modern day world. It, kind it, of procedurally, it yeah. looks really fucking cool. Chinese killing it. This yeah. is a foreigner. I mean, oh I look my god, at that. the foreigner looks badass. Yeah, it's really good. I just. I just look at this and I go, it gives me hope that yeah. that ja- once ja- ja- I mean, let's be honest, Jackie's at an age now where that that falling off a building shit is yeah, yeah, no yeah. more. But although it although looks like, it looks like it totally looks like he's still up he's there. He's doing some shit in this movie. That's yeah. That is a, a, a but I'm excited. A return to form. I'm excited about this. Yeah, I think it'll cool. be it'll be fun. Um, Next up, The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. It's a documentary on a trans activist. Yeah. Um, looks amazing. Looks great. And tells me a story about someone who I had no I idea about. I didn't know. 
Yeah. But immediately I'm in the bag. Yeah. Uh, talked about how uh, she was murdered and about her life yeah. and her attitude. It was a. It was kind of. It was an un. She died and it was kind of swept under mm-hmm. the rug because of who who she who was. Who she was. Yeah. And it's sort of a, symbolic for how many times did that happen? Yeah. In the yeah, world, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, it, a person who was instrumental in the Stonewall uh, mm-hmm. revolution. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the incident that sort of sparked the gay rights the gay uh, rights movement. Yeah. Um, but man, it looks good. It looks good. It looks great. Yeah. It looks great. Uh, and then um, I was going to say this, but I, because it sort of it sort of ties in, I'm going to jump to this. Tom Finland. Out Jesus. of all the trailers this week, dude, it this looks, looks so amazing. Good. It looks it's, so good. It looks so good. Um, for people who don't know, Tom of Finland was an artist mm-hmm. who became known for a very specific style of uh, male gay. I don't want to say. But he documented he documented the the leather scene pretty heavily. Right, exactly. He wasn't afraid to show m- nude men doing things together. Right, right, right. Um, at a time when that just wasn't done. And from an artistic standpoint, his style is so spot on, so spot on, so identifiable, the, and so um, steeped in. Like if you if if you want to know what gay men like at least in a particular sure. community look at Tom it's Fitt. super inside it's super inside yeah, yeah this is someone who casually uses reference that would be deep pools for anybody else exactly uh, and I'll also say this a little bit of his line style and the pointillism style of this guy you my friend very very <laughs> close to a lot of that stuff not in, not in its topics but in the work I've seen you do with the pointillism stuff it, it a lot of it reminds me of that sort of well, obsessiveness and I, that's and I, so I, integral I think that that's why I like his style so much is yeah. that because it, it 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 speaks to I don't know it speaks to somebody who really cares about what they're doing mm-hmm. and kind of obsessive yeah 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 um, I love the scene in, in the trailer where they they bring him to another country and he for the first time he meets his audience. Yeah, and he's he, he he's like a butterfly, right? Yeah. He's like kind of weirded out in a weird way. It reminds me of all things. Did you ever see there was an episode of Doctor Who that where Doctor Who grabs Vincent Van Gogh who's about to kill himself and he brings him to the future or some shit like that uh-huh. where he lets Van Gogh overhear an art critic played by Bill Nye talk about his work so that he can get an idea he's not going to change like he's still going to kill himself yeah but he's able to go with the understanding that his work is appreciated it's Um, it's an amazing scene but but this sort of that moment in this trailer reminded me of that there's there's also a documentary about Tom of Finland it's it's at this point probably several years old now um, called I'm I might get this wrong. I want to say it's called Daddy and the Muscle Factory or something. Oh, okay, like yeah, that. yeah, I've heard of this. And you can find it. You got to kind of dig a little bit. You can find it complete on YouTube. It is one of those movies where you have to pay attention to it because a lot of it is in, subtitled. Is subtitled, yeah. Mm. Um, but it's really good, and it'll give you a solid grounding in Tom of Finland and who he was. Yeah. And then go see this biopic because yeah. this is not a documentary this is a biopic and exactly. it looks great yeah it looks great I'm I'm so in the back of this up next The Commuter Liam Neeson Vera Farmiga 
Man, am I sick of these. Yeah, right? Like, it's taken on a train, but you're not... He doesn't have a set of skills. It has to do with a man meeting a woman on a train and her inviting him to play a game. Right. That turns out to be very deadly. And yeah. She, she's basically... She's basically saying, in, in, for lack of... Basically, she's saying in shorthand... I want you to kill somebody on this train. Mm-hmm. There's $75,000. Yeah. Oh, and here's uh, something to convince you to do it. And I I think at some point he opens an envelope and his wife's wedding ring. The wedding ring is there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, aspects of Hitchcock Stranger on a Train. Yep. There. Yep, yep. Um, I'm just sick of Liam. Liam Neeson says he's not doing any more of these action roles. Because number one, he's getting old, and number two, no one cares. Yeah. Uh, Vera Farmiga. Plus, he's a better actor than that. He's a way better actor yeah. than this stuff. Um, but kudos to a guy uh, of a certain age still pulling some of this these action moves sure. off. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vera Farmiga, fucking stunning. Have, have yeah. The Bates Motel thing. Any of her films, she's super good. She directed a film about a woman that is involved in a Christian cult and kind of gets out of it. Yeah. Um, I forget the title of it, but look up her IMDb. Um, but she was in a movie once with um, the dude that played the, that the yellow bastard, Nick... Nick Stahl. Nick Stahl. Um, it was about um, the fetishization of infirmity and the removal of body parts. Right. Um, I remember that. It's really good. Yeah. I forget what it's called, but uh, um, she plays this person that helps people that... there. There's a, there's a condition where one day a person wakes up and looks at his left leg from the knee down and right. realizes that lower leg is not his. Right. And he wants it removed. Yeah. And she plays a character that facilitates that. Right. And unbelievably, in real life... There's a great documentary. There are doctors who will do that for you. There's a great documentary about people that have this condition. And, and like, at one point, a guy put his leg from the knee down in uh, water and dry ice for hours until the frostbite was so intense that they had to take the leg off. They had to take the leg off, Um, yeah. But anyway, um, the commuter, I'm kind of going to pass on this. Yeah, I'm not feeling it. It's Uh, just more of the same. Right, Exactly. Um, next up, All the Money in the World. It has to do with Getty kidnapping. Speaking of Kevin Spacey, playing J, uh, J. Paul Getty yeah. as a bastard. Yeah. Um, buried under makeup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I'm kind of interested in this. Interested. I think it's a very interesting idea. It looks really cool. I think that people who are into that aspect of history, mm-hmm. of, of American history, will will love it. Yeah, or or hate it because it'll probably get some things wrong, and you know. Yeah. It um, seems like there his Getty's grandson is kidnapped, and he flat out says, "I'm not going to pay the ransom." Right. Exactly. Um, and doesn't it doesn't turn into the movie ransom? Right. 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 It just turns into like holy shit. Uh, Heath Ledger's ex-wife Michelle Williams is in it. Yeah, a um, couple of other people. She's great. She's desperately fighting to get her. Yeah, she's the her, mother of the do- of child, the, of the kid. Back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it looks it looks interesting. It, you know, when I see something like this, immediately what pops into my head is like, I want to see a really good Patty Hearst movie. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> like that would be cool. That would be cool. Um, and what a great time for it with the eighties and the Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about that, but right. absolutely. I remember when all that was going on. Yeah. 
You know, I remember seeing that 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 logo for the what was the Symbionese Liberation, Symbionese Liberation Army, Army, yeah. Army, and I just like, oh, how badass is that? Look at that cobra with all the fucking head. Hydra, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, be, me being a little kid at the time, not yeah, getting what's not going getting on, yeah, 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 but I'm yeah. just like, there's this chick with this beret and a fucking machine. Patty Hearst, that brought into the zeitgeist things like Stockholm Syndrome. I'm sure, I'm sure there has been. There has. Uh, plenty of patty but I'd love to see a, a new one I want one. to see a good one yeah, yeah. A real a real inside one yeah yeah um, next up a movie called Red Sparrow has Jennifer Lawrence as sort of a black widow like killer yeah uh, it's about I'm kind of it's, it's about Russian operatives slash assassins who are hot chicks and are using their Hotness. Hotness to <laughs> gain access to the people they're trying to kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I just, yeah. it, I, it just didn't look good. It just seems like, uh, um, it's kind of a great setup for almost a martial arts movie. Sure. That, but it's Jennifer Lawrence, so, so there's no martial right, arts. Right. And there's no yeah. action, and the action's gonna, it's not Atomic Blonde, no. put it that way. No. It's more of a, more of a... It's more about the seduction scenes, and then walking out of the room, and you see the guy dead on the yeah, floor. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just... You know, I I kind of I don't care. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you said. It. And then lastly, um, I have no idea about any of this. The Last Warrior is a Russian-made um, so fantasy film. Yeah, and uh, the the last Russian fantasy thing I saw was the the remake of. I think it's called V. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's V I Y. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I thought was super cool. I've uh-huh. heard a lot of people kind of shit on it, but I thought it was great. It's um, heavy MCG. Heavy. Um, it's like that trailer that came out a couple of months ago, Guardians, where the guy turns into a bear. Right, exactly. It's that heavy CG stuff. But because it's it's this fantasy, and 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 if there's like a there's like okay, so for example, they have a merman, right? Mm-hmm. The, this water guy. So we in our head we think you know. Uh, we have a certain idea of what that is, right? It's completely different yeah. through the Russian lens. It's like yeah. this guy that's going around in this floating... They're carrying him around in like a pot. ...jar of, of water. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he kind of looks like Shrek. He's kind like of. this big, dumpy guy. Yeah. And there's there's a house running around with like chicken legs. And <laughs> it's... It, look down for any... You can take any, any kind of film... Um... Um... And I'm interested when you run it through a cultural filter. Yeah. I want to see, as much as I love Night of the Living Dead, I'd love to see a Russian Night of the Living Dead. I'd love to see a Hong Kong Night of the Living Dead. Right, right. I'd love to see a Japanese, you know. Um, because each culture brings its own spin yeah. to it. Completely um, different flavor. And and because of that, I definitely want to see this. Yeah. I was just talking with uh, Ed Kurtz and his girlfriend about... The Thai movie Dorm, right. which is a prime example of this uh, ghost story set in a boys' school, right. but it's all run through that filter of the Thai culture, yeah. and it's fucking phenomenal. Well, one of the one of the things that makes um, Del Toro's Spanish language films so special mm-hmm. is because they are being viewed through this other lens. Right. 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 And Pan, I mean, Pan's Labyrinth wouldn't be Pan's Labyrinth without that. Exactly. The setting and the the, yeah. the, the substitutions. Uh, as far as uh, what we've been watching, anything you want to talk about? Uh, unfortunately, 
right now I'm going through a period at work where I'm I'm working day and night yeah. and uh, I'm not seeing I'm not seeing anything. Uh, I am still continuing to read um, that what is turning out to be an amazing graphic novel is called My Favorite Things Are Monsters by Emil Ferris. That thing is is it's amazing. The copy I'm reading is from the library. I'm definitely buying it. It it awesome. it requires multiple viewings. It's the type of thing where one page or screw that, one panel has so many different levels of different things going on oh, cool. that you can you can find things and and there's constant little sidebars about some little detail that's drawn in the background mm. that you weren't you just saw as a decorative thing and then they they point an arrow to it and say, "Hey, yeah, look at this, here's Demi. the significance of this <laughs> asshole." <laughs> <laughs> uh, me, I've I've another, have I had another bad week. It's been utter shit. Get into the Greek. Don't ask me why. <laughs> For some reason, I went back and watched Survival of the Dead, which I don't know why. Right. Um, one, some of the highlights. Uh, uh, I rewatched Sabata, the first Sabata oh, yeah. movie, and then last night I rewatched uh, Suspiria. Yeah. Um, which I don't want to talk about because uh, it, we're going to be talking about it next week. Yeah, it's relevant to, to what we're. Yeah, we have we have uh, a, a guest coming on, and this, this is I'm ho- I'm hoping I don't kick myself in the ass for this one, but um, not in that I hope that this may we this happens. Yeah. But Barbara McNulty, who played Olga in uh, Suspiria, yeah, uh, we're going to talk a lot about Suspiria next week. Yeah. Uh, about that, and I'm lo- dying to hear what she thinks about the remake. I've interviewed her before, and she's a great interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that. Um, books go. I'm odd that I just brought it up with with uh, uh, Bill, but I was going to recommend The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. That's a great. Book. It's a great. Book. It's a great book. Uh, music. What are you listening to? And then we'll get out of here. Uh... More synthwave. <laughs> that's like that's my soundtrack for like my life right now is like sleep, drive to work, work, drive home. So the only time I'm listening to music is in, is the, in car. the car, and I'm listening to um, I'm I, I'm not listening to Perturbator, which I often talk Whoa. about. Oh, I'm listening to Protector 101. So, Great. So look them up. Yeah, look them up. Uh, in particular, look for an album called The Wastelands. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Nice, 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 nice. It's very cool. Uh, I'm going to recommend a, an Italian band that no one's ever heard of. Okay. <laughs> the band is called... I'm going to spell it here. Their name is Artie and Mysteri. The first word is Artie, A-R-T-I, space, the letter E, space, and then M-E-S-T-I-E-R-I. They're an Italian prog rock band. Uh-huh. Um, their records are called Tilt, Gyro di Valser di Domini, Quinto Stato... <laughs> And then they have a new record out called Aquario. First of all, they're great. Uh-huh. Second of all, um, they're... Are they great for the people who want a good beat and can dance no, to no. it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, if, if bands like La Orme or PFM, Premiata Fornieri Marconi, uh-huh. um, that kind of Italian, I know, <laughs> Italian prog rock stuff is in right. your thing, they're great. What's really important about this band is... They're they're playing prog rock, but they've got one of the most insane drummers you'll ever hear. Okay, cool. Um, he's not Neil Peart, but it's different. Neil, uh, uh, Neil. Um, vocals? Yeah, okay. all in Italian. Okay. <laughs> There's also a great group called Banco that you can find that um, are fucking phenomenal. But this guy, instead of just holding down, like what, they, what drummers call holding down fours, sure. it's all these little snap rolls. It's never like he's just 
hanging out. Right. It's, it's frenetic and it's crazy and it's really easy. He, like, is this guy even listening to the same music? His his drumming style could not be um, put on a drum machine and looped. No. No. Okay. No. 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 Especially if if you go on on YouTube, all 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 the first three records, Tilt, Gyro DeVolter, Per Domini, and Quinto Stato are all there. Okay. Um, check them out. They're cool. they're fucking amazing. Uh, other than that, uh, coming up, uh, are you working on? You're just working. You're just working. I, on things. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the big thing in Langley's world right now is bleeding. Bleeding Ham. Yeah. You can check that out at what bleedingham.com. Bleedingham.com. It's a big deal this year. We have four different days of shit going on. Wow. Four different uh, events. Yeah. And uh, uh, the the exciting thing is we've opened it up to. Um, I'm putting air quotes up here. International submissions. That means. Things outside of the Pacific Northwest. Some of them are international. We're getting stuff from other countries, as well as people from across the United States, as a separate competition. Bleeding Ham in its heart is a film competition for Pacific Northwesterners, mostly Washington people. Mm-hmm. The, um, but we'll, but we also take submissions from um, Oregon and I think Idaho, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, so that's a that's a big deal. We're still giving away a thousand dollar cash prize for the best film um, in the Bleedingham category, not in the international. Yeah, this, yeah okay. Um, we have the Night Gallery this year, which is a continuation of our first little mini like a convention. Mini con, yeah, yeah, a little mini con where we have artists and vendors and people coming to show us their creepy shit. We've got some cool things lined up, um, including um, a horror-themed drag show. Sweet! Uh, horror-themed fashion show. We have um, a DJ who specializes in um, goth mixes. Oh. Um, Sorry. Thrillingham will be... Uh, I hear the G word and I just again. go, oi! Uh, it's it's going to be a blast. Oh, it should be a blast. Yeah. Uh, friend of the show, Nick the Hat, uh, Gucker, will be there. Oh, sweet! And, uh, That's always yeah, good to see it's, 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 it's going to be great. Right. Um and then, uh, as usual, like a week later, we do our encore show. Um, so yeah, we got a we got a lot of crap going on this year, and a lot of stuff to get done before then. So right on, right on. Um, I just sent information to the Crossroad Press about a string of pearls. I'm waiting for a release date on that. Nice. I'm hoping I'm I I came up through the second edit of the No Flesh Shall Be Spared sequel. I landed a little short, seventy two thousand words. I wanted eighty. So I'm gonna fuck with that for a little while longer. Is there a reason why you would want eighty? Eighty is usually what they call a um, a novel. Gotcha. Um, uh, I I and there's a part of me that feels like I'm cheating because the first book was 160,000. So well, yeah, and, but yeah. it was your first. I mean, yeah. it's like well, you know, it's I like they always say it's like you know your first thing is like something you've been thinking about. For you, yeah. I, well, it's funny that you say that because the new book is called "Don't Look Back," and it's a reference to the band Boston's, Boston's. second album. Yeah. Because they, as I say, they had their life to write the first one, and a couple of years to write the second one. Right. And it's universally considered a disaster, um, and that fits my book perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's exciting, and I'm working on this this other thing um, that I'll be on. It's, it's a Christmas story that I'm thinking, and I'll let everyone on the show know. I'm thinking about just putting it up on the website as like a Christmas gift. Cool, cool. It's super weird, and um, even for me, it's it's, it's kind super of a fun though. It's I, super fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it took a lot of uh, a lot of cookies to get there, <laughs> but um, 
I, I'm digging it. Yeah. Uh, but again, next week we've got uh, uh, Barbara. Barbara McNulty, and the week after that uh, uh, we've got Craig Spector. Uh, we were going to have Craig on a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, but some some stuff happened that didn't work out, so we got him rebooked, right? And then coming up, we have shows on genre collecting. We're going to have a, the local comic book shop owner come in and try to convince us a about about comics. And there's a couple of other things. We just landed someone in November that I don't want to uh, say too much about, but it's, yeah. it's pretty cool. I'll hint you by saying that a dog will hunt. Dog will hunt! So, so lots of stuff, cool stuff coming up. And we were talking just before we started about t-shirts and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, we got so. some, we got some cool things happening. So we're so. gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna be like Steven Seagal's dad and Alfred Justice <laughs> <laughs> go, pushing our card up, sharpening scissors. Uh, for the few of you that got that joke. <laughs> All right, so we're out of here. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening, you guys. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear. And if you can, um, if you ever see the links on Facebook and stuff, please share them. Yeah, share uh, the hell out of them. <laughs> we, we, want, we want our audience to grow because by our audiences growing, we, it gives us a little more leverage on getting... Cooler guests. Cooler guests. Yeah. So uh, thanks again. You guys rock. For the Bonus Material Podcast, I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. Stay scary.